long time ago, I had a, uh, a good, oh, whoops, we're starting. We're I just starting. Go, a ahead, go ahead there. Who is a, uh, he was a uh, German musicologist and conductor, very uh, well-known, Joseph Gunzinger, and he was a premier Steiner teacher at the time there. And so he kind of took me under his wing, but he had a sound studio in Hawaii where we all live. And it was just like in an amazing setting and acoustically correct building and everything in every way. And this guy brought a lot to the table, but he had those gongs, like huge gongs that were like as high as my ceiling here, just lining the whole thing. And then he'd, he'd sit you down in the middle and then light you up, you know, with the tones and everything. It's pretty incredible. So he spent a lifetime collecting those throughout the world, you know, in Tibet and in all sorts of exotic places. So uh, that was my introduction to gongs and I've uh, loved them ever since. Groovy, groovy. It's such a, <laughs> it's such a way to um, respect the earth element, turn a big piece of metal yeah. into this shape and then it vibrates your whole body. Incredible. Yeah, mm, exactly. I, and I was always a fan of the gong show myself. So, uh, and, that, and that dude was like a spy and stuff. So uh, interesting, uh, the gong connection. I think I missed that one. Yeah, you didn't know that? He was like uh, a secret spy, the host of the gong show. Uh, cool. <laughs> okay, we're back for another episode of AlphaCast. I'm Mike Winner, and I'm here as always with Dr. Bear Paul Lando, coming to you live and direct from the beautiful Smith River up here on the in the great state of Jefferson. Uh, we are here today with one of my homies, Eric Cassano. It's going to be a great show. We're going to go into a lot of topics. Uh, exciting times as we move into fall. Um, I know Bear and Deb over at the farm have uh, are really looking forward to some quiet time. And uh, it's been a busy summer and a harvest is uh, wrapping up the Jiaogulan harvest. And uh, man, I love fall here. It's a, it's a gorgeous time. We got a nice dumping of rain over the weekend. Uh, seems like the Oregon belt, we're calling it, which from NorCal up to Idaho is in full effect. Because if you went and looked, I went and looked at the uh, um, kind of the pattern of rain where the rainstorms were coming and they were coming right along that uh that corridor that mitch our guest last week mitch the orgone donor was very active in so fascinating times uh, uh we're all about solutions here and it's great seeing uh the, them actually in effect so uh those who and, missed uh, our orgone show last week go watch it because uh it's definitely something we all need to be talking about more yeah bear yeah, I was just going to say, uh, we haven't seen anything yet. You know, I've been online buying Oregon supplies ever since that last episode. And I've got a few thousand bucks of uh, metal shavings and resins and, you know, you name it all coming my way. So uh, as soon as uh, we clear out the new lab and can finish building that, then I'm going to use that to construct these devices. Now I'm going to make the, uh, you know, the big uh, military grade bazooka type of uh, organite <laughs> devices. So yeah, so we're going to uh, return uh, the U.S. to its, its normal uh, rainy state, you know, and uh, just abundance and green everywhere and, you know, screw sitting around wringing our hands about, you know, the bad guys that are spraying us. It's just like, hey, just be smarter than them. So, uh, and that brings us uh, with you today. You've got a lot of knowledge to impart with us. And Mike, sorry for the interruption. You go ahead and we'll get this going. Yeah, no worries. Uh, so I'm really looking forward to that bear. Uh, I know you're putting together a really cool organite uh, countertop too for your spagyric slab. So with all that organ over at the farm, I, I can't wait to just get 
get high on the organ supply when we head over there to start flying around over the farm. Uh, and, well, uh, and I'm going to have Mark uh, help us build an organite sauna chamber. So it's not just the old uh, Reich organ chamber, but, you know, I'm going to build a sauna outside anyway. So I figured, okay, what the heck? Why not make it an organ chamber? I would like that's, to try that sauna. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, fun, that, right? that's going to be fantastic. Uh, I cannot wait for that. And then, of course, integrate sound therapy and lots of other modalities within that. So that's just going to be super fun. And I'm actually want to get a float tank as well. I've been looking into those again, and I would love to get a float tank uh, here. Uh, Eric Cassano today. And Eric, I'm sure you probably living in L.A. have done the float tank stuff. You know, I haven't yet. Oh, wow. I I look forward to doing it. (laughs) It's right up my alley. (laughs) Yeah, it is. Uh, So Eric Cassano joins AlphaCast today for an in-depth roundtable discussion on how to reclaim your health. Eric is the embodiment of the most fundamental maxim for practitioners in the healing arts, which is heal thyself. Eric began his incredible in-depth journey through the world of natural health care modalities by healing himself from late-stage cancer. And that would be testicular cancer, correct, Eric? Yeah, that's right. That's right. And, and you know, I've, I did the Western thing a little, and I'll go into my story deep and, and tell you how I ended up uh, saying, well, I don't think I need Western medicine anymore unless I break a bone or something like that. Yeah, fantastic. Uh, as the founder of Aquarian Alchemy and a wellness coach, Eric specializes in conscious, connected breathing and emotional trauma release, quote, Through conscious, connected breathing, ice baths, sauna therapy, and nutritional wellness, our programs are designed to help you overcome emotional blockages with expansive awareness. Eric studied under DP Mahesh in, uh, excuse me if I butcher this, uh, Haidekan, India, where he became certified in five-element breathwork and now shares his expertise through workshops, private retreats, and group intensives at aquariumalchemy.org, his beautiful sanctuary where he's at right now in Malibu, California. Uh, Today, we're going to leave no uh, stone unturned as our discussion will traverse the gospel of the Essenes, which I'm really excited about, Um, connecting with spirit through holotropic breathwork and the five elements, dream work, uh, extremely important these days, urine therapy, uh, which we've already gotten a comment in YouTube here that it's satanic. So that'll be interesting to see your perspective on the sat- on that comment. Interesting. Uh, and uh, the vast gamut of healing through consciousness exploration. Uh, this episode couldn't be more on point as a counterbalance to the prevalent mainstream fear narrative that has kept so many ignorant of natural law and the reality of our own innate abilities to self-heal. We're going to present readily available practices and powerful solutions to help you navigate the engineered Maya of these historically uncertain times so that you can be part of the solution. Bear Lando, that was beautifully written and I think super on point. How are you today, sir? Uh, Thank you. Uh, And I hope that was okay. You know, I was uh, writing that up and I, I don't I hesitate to try, you know, put words in people's mouths. So I, so I hope that depicts you okay. Correct anything that I've got wrong in there. But hey, I'm, go ahead. Bloody brilliant. <laughs> That's what I love to hear. Okay. So uh, thank you. And uh, so great. Uh, thank you for being here with us today. Uh, really looking forward to this. You know, Mike shared a lot with me and just said, you guys had a good connection. And, 
and uh, you know, spent a few hours there philosophizing over at his place. Uh, sorry, I missed out on that, but uh, I get to catch up with you guys today. So, so really awesome. You know, your story is um, is so valuable, and you know, you're uh, one of a growing number of people that have proven through their own experience uh, that disease is perhaps something much different than what we've been taught. But of course, the uh, the roots, uh, you know, the especially the the anxieties that we have, especially when you mention words like cancer, which, by the way, we talk about on this show all the time, are just words. But those words have powerful impact because we've been engrammed since birth that they have, um, you know, just great ominous, uh, you know, consequences. And so, uh, being that you know our body is nothing more than a reflection of our beliefs, our thoughts, and, and so forth. You know, it's, it's, it's no uh, stretch to me why so many people succumb to these so-called diseases when they don't have to at all. But then there's a few uh, heroic archetypes out there like yourself to say, hey, I'm going to do something different. You go through it and you heal yourself. You know, my one of my old um, uh, uh, kind of role models was Albert Schweitzer, you know, and he was all about finding the inner physician and it all goes back to that heal thyself. And unfortunately in my travels, being a physician type, you know, uh, being around a lot of doctors of all types at seminars, working in hospitals, you know, working in teams in different, uh, emergency services, you know, they really haven't wrap their mind around that simple concept of heal yourself. And just like any other endeavor in life, how can you possibly pull something off unless you've been there and done that yourself? So what you have accomplished and, uh, you know, is to me much more valuable than any number of diplomas on the wall or, you know, books you could possibly read. You know, you've actually done there, done that. You've walked the talk. You've, you know, gone to the center of, you know, all the the fears that we all entertain. So, uh, it's a great story, and that's what we want to hear from you today. Uh, you know, perhaps sharing some of the modalities that you found useful, and uh, Mike has already mentioned a couple, and then just take it more into your own journey and and what you think. Uh, you know, disease, health, and everything else is in the first place. So I'll stop rambling here. Thanks again for being with us, uh, Eric. And I really, really appreciate you, uh, everything that you, you have to share with us today. Excellent. Thank you, Bear. And thank you, Mike. So uh, I guess I could start off by telling you guys um, just the short version of my cancer journey. Uh, and by the way, is my mic loud enough? You guys can hear me okay? You sound great, my friend. Excellent. Excellent. So, um, okay, so about nine years ago, I was diagnosed with uh, testicular cancer. I, my late wife actually found it uh, on the way back from Burning Man on my second time. And, um, and she kind of, we were sitting in a hotel room and she was sort of uh, casually fondling my balls. And she said, uh, yeah, I think you need to check this out. And the moment I felt it, I, I realized, I was like, this is, this is cancer. I did it to myself, you know? I was hoping it wasn't, but, but it definitely was. And, um, and, and so I'm a Swedish citizen. Um, so I went to Sweden to get it taken care of. Now I wanted to find the natural cure. I knew it existed, but I also knew that there's no recorded record of anyone ever beating testicular cancer without getting their testicle removed. Um, it doesn't matter. I still believe in natural healing. I just didn't know how to approach it at the time. I was new to, uh, holistic medicine. You know, this was, I was 29. 
So uh, reading books, scrambling, how can I beat this myself? I, I couldn't figure it out. And, and I said, looks like I'm looks like my destiny is to have my left nut removed. So, so I went to Sweden, had it removed. And then the doctor said, sorry, you, uh, you have stage two, sorry, the cancer spread into your lymph nodes and your chest, you need chemo. So I promised myself I would never do chemo my entire life. I was like, I will never do that. That's retarded. Cause like, I, like you guys said, um, a few, uh, episodes ago, you know, doing chemo is a death wish and I couldn't agree more, you know, it really is. And, and I knew it. And, uh, but I, I buckled, you know, I, I, I did, I, I guess you could say I made a mistake or I learned my lesson or however you want to look at it. It's all lessons. The mistakes are all lessons, of course. And uh, so therefore there are no mistakes. <laughs> so, so I did the chemo and, and after the chemo, the doctor said, sorry, you still have cancer. I was like, ah, that's what I get for listening to you guys. Like, what am I doing? And, and then the doctor said, okay, we want to cut you open and take out your lymph nodes. You know, the bottom part, that's just next in Western medicine protocol. Uh, when you have cancer or testicular uh, it's, cancer. It's just your lymphatic system. doesn't really yeah. do much. Oh, yeah. You don't need, you don't need that thing. Yeah. Tell me <laughs> exactly. So I, but yeah, I thought the opposite. I was like, wait, maybe I do need this. <laughs> and uh, so I had already been fascinated by urine therapy uh, how, or what, you know, Shivambu, whatever you want to call it. Urine therapy is such a lame name because it's, it's so much more than a therapy. It's actually more of a way of life for me and many others. So so, uh, so I didn't want to get my lymph nodes removed. I'm in Sweden. I'm scrambling on Google looking, how do I do this urine therapy thing? Cause I literally had a dream about it like two weeks prior and it was a very abstract dream. It wasn't anything deep, but basically spirit in my dream said, urine therapy is good. And I'm like, okay, I gotcha. Gotcha. And so, um, so I'm, I'm scrambling on Google and I'm looking for protocols. Like, how do I do this? Do I drink it once a day? Do I, what, do, how does this work? And I remember the moment where I came across some website and it said, urine therapy really works when you fast on your urine. And then it was like a light bulb click. I was like, Oh, that's, I can actually see it, seeing it. I can see it be effective now, you know, now, now with that sort of technique in mind. So, um, so I told the doctors like, well, I'm, I'm not gonna, you know, I'm not gonna get my lymph nodes removed. I'm gonna try my, my thing and then you can do one more MRI on me afterwards. So for the next three weeks, I fasted on my urine, a little bit of juice here and there, a little bit of water, but every drop of my own uh, Shivambu. Uh, for the rest of the podcast, I'd like to call it urine or pee Shivambu. Sounds cooler. Um, and that, by the way, that means water of Shiva. So I began drinking uh, my Shivambu three weeks straight, a little bit of juice on top. Um, no, wow, you don't feel lethargic. Uh, you didn't, I never got a headache. Uh, I just, I had decent energy for fasting like that. It was, it was really mind blowing. And, and then after my three weeks, we did one more um, MRI and all my lymph nodes were back to normal. And it felt like I had never done chemo. That was the most fascinating part because chemotherapy, what I did, cisplatin, it literally damages a piece of your DNA. It literally rips a piece of your DNA out with hopes that it will heal back to normal. So after doing my urine fast, it felt as if my DNA was back intact and back to normal, thinking normal, starting to have my first lucid dreams. Um, I knew, and, and when I had my first lucid dreams during chemo, that's when I knew I, I was going to be okay. Cause that's what I, I knew that chemo could mess up my spiritual connection. And it literally singed the ends of my nerves. And I would go as far as saying that all Western medicine across the board sort of disconnects us from spirit. Dare I say, you know, um, so anyway, so, um, 
yeah, so I did my, my urine fast. It, it felt like I'd never done chemo. I did one more MRI. The, the doctor said, you're back to normal. All your lymph nodes are, are good. I said, I guess I'm done with Western medicine. But then what came to mind is, well, why would I stop drinking Shivambu now? It feels too good. It feels too right. Wouldn't that be weird just to do, do it for a little bit while I'm sick and then stop? No, I'm, I think I'm going to keep doing this. And, and I did. And I haven't looked back and I've, I call myself an expert on urine therapy because, or Shivambu, because uh, Shivambu, it treats every disease across the board. I, I don't even want to say cure, but I'll say treat and possibly cure, treats every disease across the board. And I can sort of uh, figure out a protocol for any issue you're having with Shivambu. And I can, I mean, anyone can do this. It's actually pretty simple. And so this is when Shivamu really starts to make sense. So this is a great aspect, a great little uh, knowledge nugget about Shivamu. So everybody's already drank their own urine. Everybody. Whoa. Well, not, not me, Eric. Come on. I'm Gary and I don't drink my pee. Well, this is what I would tell <laughs> Gary. I would say, well, everybody has grown in their mother's womb. And yes. for those nine months, you're in an amniotic fluid. 70% of that amniotic fluid is pee. So when you're, urinating in your amniotic fluid, you're drinking it because your stomach and your lungs are filled with fluid when you're a baby. So you're literally growing in a urine substance. That's why aged urine is next level because it's kind of like amniotic fluid. There's tons of stem cells in there and you can even do your at-home um, scientific research on your aged urine. And this is what I tell everybody. So you can take your arm burn yourself twice, bam, bam, two burns. One of the burns apply aged urine to it. The other do nothing. You'll watch the burn with the aged urine will heal up very quickly because aged urine is like liquid flesh. And it's not even a secret that urine and aged urine has stem cells in it. CBS news has said that you guys can Google this. CBS news has said the Chinese have regrown stem cells in urine. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. The Chinese have regrown teeth in urine or using the stem cells of urine to regrow teeth. So that's mainstream news. But also if you just Google stem cells in urine, you'll find uh, tons of information. And uh, it's, you know, again, you know, all there in plain sight. So yeah, just a quick comment, Eric, you know, in old alchemical circles and those of us that are resurrecting a lot of those old chemical lab procedures, you know, with herbs and minerals and things, one of the most prominent um, preparations of the old alchemists that we would liken maybe to the philosopher's stone and all that sort of thing yep. is um, really making a stone from urine. You yeah. start with the urine. Yeah. Now, sure. it's uh, in the old days, it used to be a nine-year process just to right. make this stuff. But now we have uh, laboratory equipment, things that can speed it up greatly and do it in months rather than years. But yeah. all the reports across the board from that kind of spagyric or alchemical preparation was that it absolutely regenerated the body. And in fact, people that took it, um, their teeth would fall out, their hair would fall out, but then mm. they they grow everything anew. Mm. You know, the other thing, um, you know, with urine therapy is we have to understand, uh, as with all natural therapies, it really requires a, a deal of a good deal of responsibility because when you're drinking urine, you have a daily 
biofeedback of sorts, don't you? You can tell, you know, if your diet has been good, if there's things that are kind of yucky in it, uh, you don't want to be overdoing animal products. Absolutely. So it really requires that you bring uh, a little awareness and responsibility to the table too. And I think, um, and, and also for some reason, we've been all programmed to be disgusted with our own bodies in certain ways, which is a major roadblock to things like urine therapy. But um, yeah, these things have been on the planet forever, tried and proven right under our noses for free. So please, I just wanted to kind of interject some comments for Excellent. folks that are new to this so that, you, you know, they and, don't think this is out in left field or something. And uh, Bear, that was interesting with the, with the philosopher's stone or with that, with the idea of building that out. And then, and then Eric, you talking about how it is essentially our body, right? It's like the essence of who we are and it can recreate and regrow um, material uh, like our skin and stuff. And, uh, it's, uh, just so much to unpack here. Maybe what we could do though, for the audience who is totally new to this and is like, what the hell are they talking about? Drinking your own piss. What is wrong with you people? Um, let's first of all, maybe explain what the process is and how it works, because there is a specific way of going about it. I think it's very important to discuss that. And then we can go a little deeper into, the physicality of it. And then I'd love to get deeper into the esoterics and the real science of it and how this relates actually to our DNA and hyperdimensionality and our consciousness and a reflection of us. Um, and I will just say this, guys, there are a lot of modalities that, that you can use besides urine to get these same biofeedback responses. It's just that urine seems like a very powerful, immediate way to do it. Um, and I'd love to go deeper into that. And that relates to all sorts of things. So first and foremost, Eric, how, what is your process of doing the Shivambu on how it works? Because there is a right way to do it, right? And then there's kind of a wrong way to do it from what I understand. I may be wrong there. Mm -hmm. um, so maybe give us a breakdown of your process. Yeah. Well, first I want to say, Bear, I'm really excited to talk about the Philosopher's Stone here in a little bit. So you mentioning that it opens up a, a lot of stuff. Um, and you're definitely on point with not wanting to do too much animal products and you can really feel it. So um, the, okay, so the Damar Tantra, this 500 year old Hindu text, it, uh, there's a, there's a passage about Shivambu and they talk about, um, drinking the midstream. So like, don't do the, the head or the tail of the snake, do the middle. Uh, at this point in my journey, I just do all of it. And, and I, and, and it's, it's fine. I mean, I'm here I am. Um, so you like the good so, funk, the good funk. That yeah, ah, makes me strong. <laughs> yeah, totally. Totally. Uh, no, you're like that kombucha drinker who likes to drink the, the thick mother at the end. <laughs> I do like, I do like the kombucha, the mother. Yes. Uh, and, they, and they basically <laughs> and, say morning, is this morning urine is what they recommend? So, okay. Um, there's so many different ways to go about it. I, it's really hard to go wrong, but it is, a, you know, um, responsibility. So the morning urine is definitely the most potent. And I tend to skip that one, but I shouldn't. <laughs> I usually do my second or third, but if on the empty stomach, if uh, when I do drink my morning Shivambu, that is absolutely the best. And when you sit in meditation, you can feel what's it's what it's doing to your body. It's raising your immune system. It's clearing out the mucus. It's, it's giving you love and truth. It's kind of a trip. I mean, I've done plant medicines and I've tried this and that. So I know when something is affecting me in a good way and I know when it's affecting me in a bad way. And, and when I drink urine, especially in the morning, 
And especially when I sit with meditation, I can feel that it's helping me. Now, uh, granted, you're, the more alkaline your diet is, the more alkaline your pee is, it's really that simple. You know? So if you're eating a lot of meat and potatoes and alcohol, your, your urine's gonna be very acidic, but it can still help you in time of need. It just will be a very low vibration. You know, and you can, uh, you can taste it. You can smell it. You can get pH strips and test it yourself. You can check your ketone levels. Um, uh, you can check your PPM if you really want, you know, and see how dense your urine is. But once you get the hang of it, um, just doing it in the morning, it's sort of, first of all, I mean, geez, like, first of all, your, your allergy, if you have any allergies, they'll all go away. That's like child's play. They'll be gone in two days, you know? Um, and then your skin starts looking really, really great. And then you start getting in a better mood and it's like, well, and this is all just from like two or three peas a day if you drink, but you can take it so much further. Um, I, I mean this, yeah, I, I know this would like gross most people out, but I, I snort my urine and then do pranayama. So I'm like, I, it, and it doesn't seem to do any negative, <laughs> doesn't You're, do anything negative to my brain or nose. Here I am functioning and walking miracle, you know? So um, that's not the parties are like at your place these days. <laughs> <laughs> you know, man, I, I can't get everybody to join my Shivambu cult, but gosh dang it, I'll keep trying. No, just kidding. Oh, you know, my I, God. I, I, you know, I didn't want to, I didn't really want to be the face of Shivambu, but someone had to take one for the team. Somebody had to talk about this because nobody was doing it. And it's, I, I'm like the only guy in LA walking around saying like, Hey, I drink my pee. And you know what? I even, it helped me cure my cancer. And it's, uh, it's pretty, it's pretty trippy. You know, it's actually really trippy because of doing these videos with Troy Casey a few years ago. Now, when I walk into parties and stuff, people are like, Hey man, you're the pee guy. What? Yeah. I love your stuff. I'm like, oh, is this what fame feels like? Uh, I wanted to be famous for rock and roll, but whatever. <laughs> You're P-Man. <laughs> hey, funny. come um, piss on me. Uh, yeah. Um, yeah. You know, and we've well, that's, had well, that's the way, magic. Uh, <laughs> yeah. Uh, just, just a quick comment as an old surfer, you know, the first thing we learned when we all moved to the islands a long time ago is uh, you get coral cuts, you pee on them first thing. You know, all the locals over totally. there, you know, just oh, pee on it, you know, so, Liquid so it's, uh, you know, it's, it's not lost on, uh, you know, a lot of different cultures for different things. And every surfer in the world will tell you that. And they also do it and they aren't squeamish about it. And it works. Yeah. Yeah, totally. Mm -hmm. and, and there's another really effective uh, uh, technique I do, and that's aged urine enemas and holy moly. It is incredible. Yeah, you got to meditate on that. See how that feels, because it's like. Yeah, I, I want to. <clears throat> I do want to go into this. I know you recently. Okay. I, con I connected you with Kelly Brogan, and yeah. you guys did a whole. Uh, you did a uh, interview with her on that for her community, and because mm -hmm. she's kind of like considers herself like the you know uh, the enema queen of some respects. So when I cool. first told her about, hey, do you know about urine enemas? She's like, get the heck out of here. What are you talking <laughs> about? Because she's mainly do traditional coffee enemas, which we're all about. And I try to do one a week if I can. Um, and we can go deeper into why that's more important than ever with all the toxicity on this planet. But um, real quick, back to the Shivambu uh, mm. and drinking your urine. Um, mm. uh, so what's the process for you? So you catch your stream um, and, and then do you drink it right away? You know, there's age, there's ways to age it. 
Um, when you're starting too, for people that are like, well, that's intense. Is it okay to mix maybe a little uh, lemon juice in it? Absolutely. As a start to kind of maybe help people first get into it? Because I know people are, mo a lot of people in the Western realm are going to be like, this is disgusting. Of course. But, but you know, I think if there are some ways to, to do ease the, the way into it, because I, I, I'll, full disclosure, I've done it. I haven't done it in a little bit, but Troy Casey's the one that got me into it because he's kind of more, and I love Troy, but he's definitely more on the theatrical side. It's kind of a little bit more of a gimmick in some respects to him for his brand. But that being said, he does it. And he's that dude's in his mid fifties and looks like Odin. <coughs> so he's doing something right. And I want to do get on into topical urine therapy as well. But yeah. so what are some ways, maybe other ways that you could help people that are very new to this, start to approach this before just going into snorting yeah. it and, uh, <laughs> and putting it up there. Boop, boop. <laughs> yeah, no, you definitely uh, hit the nail on the head there. You can absolutely mix it with juice. If you would like add lemons, whatever. I mean, they even talk about it in the, uh, the Shivambu texts. I mentioned the, the book, the Dhamma Tantra. And in the, the Shivambu text, uh, Shiva, speaking to Pravati, actually tells her that you can mix herbs with your Shivambu. You can mix, uh, I think he says neem and ginger, uh, honey. He actually mentioned some of these and uh, it's spot on and I've done it and it's, it's totally amazing. So you can start with a few drops if you'd like to see how that makes you feel, see if you feel bad or good afterwards. Um, and then, and like you said, you know, mix it, mix anything you'd like in it. And, uh, you know, just like any medicine for the, for the, best effect do it on empty stomach of course um but yes a few drops and and how i do it and you asked me how i do it in the morning so so if or so when i uh pee in a, in a glass i actually hold it up to my heart and i actually program it i mean we're all familiar with dr emoto we all love his work don't we and i mean what he's proven with water is incredible so what you can do with your own shivambu that's water with your DNA. That means you're way more psychically linked to this water than tap water or just. And it's water. probably like super structured, right? Like your urine. I would assume. Yeah. I would assume it is. That's a good. Everybody brings that up, and and I, I wonder if we with vortexing your urine <laughs> before drinking it, bear. I don't know. And freezing it and putting it under. Well, with just a, yeah, just a quick comment with uh, Dr. Moto and everything, you know, urine is even more powerful in that it's the water element from your body, which it means it's manufactured by your cells. Now your cells have a resonance. It's unique to your body and it has the blueprint and all the awareness of your entire life stream for all time. So uh, you're getting actually water that's been modified on a level of resonance that is unique to you. So it does have different properties in just programming water and it will be more amenable to your consciousness programming to, than just plain water. And, totally. and I'm assuming totally. too, your, your urine would be a, a much better for you if you're drinking structured, um, you know, uh, spring water, water that's more vital than if you're in the city drinking chlorinated, fluoridated water, that's going to have a, a much more harmful effect on your urine therapy, of course. I mean, that just seems like common sense. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Uh, the higher vibe your diet, the higher vibe your Shivambu. Yeah. Um, well, that's fantastic. So beyond, so you were doing the, when you were kind of going through your, um, your cleansing of your physical malady with the testicular cancer, you're primarily sounds like you were doing the, sh the traditional Shivambu. And now that's yeah. evolved now into aged urine 
enemas. And I don't want this show to all be about urine, but I think no, it's we got to talk about breath work and esoteric stuff too. Yeah, exactly. But there is a lot of esoteric in this. And when we were having our discussion, when you guys, you and your lovely partner, Brit rolled through a couple of weeks ago up here, we got into the Essenes and, and the ancient mystery schools talking about urine and how there are even Western mystics that were applying urine uh, topically, Asia urine topically. So um, we'll get into that, but what um, in your mind does the aging of the urine do uh, versus the fresh urine, which seems like to me, fresh urine would be the most vital because it's right out of you. But I guess age urine has some other properties and your um, why age urine. Yeah. So there's two very important components uh, with aging urine. So the first, when you age urine, the alkaline levels rise, they, they go sky, sky high. So in, uh, if you age urine for about a month, if you're peeing at a seven, you'll age it probably to about a nine on the pH scale. And that you can test yourself. And the other aspect of uh, aging urine is that the stem cells are multiplied. I've heard by the millions, like a lot. And not just what I've heard, I've experienced that there's significantly more stem cells in aged urine than there is fresh urine. And you have to see for yourself because like I said, that's why I love the, uh, the old burn trick. You can you know test it out and, and see that aged urine is liquid flesh that's far superior to fresh urine. And uh, Bear, I wanted to ask, uh, have you read, or have you looked over this book called The Book of Aquarius? Are you familiar with that? Um, which, I don't know, you know, I've, I've read a lot yeah. that I've forgotten. So who wrote that? What's, what's the subject matter? So uh, it's written by Anonymous and it's how to oh. make the philosopher's stone from your urine and it's released oh, online oh, for oh. free. And, and I've just uh -huh. sort of skimmed over this thing. I've, I've it, seen that one. I've seen that one, but I've got the same information in other circles, but I know exactly what you have. In fact, I have it saved somewhere in my files. Sorry, go ahead. That, that's really cool that you brought up because not too many people know that the Philosopher's Stone is made from urine. And, and you know, that's just uh, the physical aspect. There's a lot of parallels with the Philosopher's Stone. Some people believe it's your heart or your mind or your body or, you know, there's different aspects. But then if you're talking about the actual red rock, then yes, that is apparently made from Shivambu. And oh, wow. So, so I've heard it's like a diamond. So that's interesting that it was like in. Um, wow. OK, keep so, going. <laughs> so, OK, well, so supposedly um, in theory that there are two philosopher's stone. There's a red rock, which is the ultimate that will, in theory, allow you to live forever if you eat a little bit every day. And then there's a white stone that will heal you, but not necessarily you won't necessarily live forever. Now, this now this all actually relates to yoga in a very interesting way. So if you guys know about the Nadi system, you have the Ida and the Bingala, right? The Ida on the left side, I believe, is the white or red. Oh, geez, I get them mixed up. Let's 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 say it's the white, and then your Bingala is the red. So in yoga, the, your nostrils are represented as le, uh, white and red. So isn't that interesting that the philosopher's stone is a white and red? stone and also when you age urine it turns red and the ormus at the bottom is white so there's this red white sort of parallel thing going on with uh our enlightenment perhaps wow and that's another aspect of the age urine right in creating your own ormus yeah totally so um so that was okay. So let's back up eight years ago so I beat cancer I come back home to Malibu I um I start researching more about urine therapy and and I, I start googling uh, aging urine and I find this guy on YouTube named Liver Flush Man 
And this guy, Liver Flesh Man, is an interesting character. He's uh, he's based out of Victoria, Canada, and <laughs> and he's had his own mental health challenges and physical health challenges. And he makes, jeez, uh, like a hundred videos on aging urine, and uh, and he discovers or he 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 reports that urine has a lot of ormus in it, and that blew my mind because everybody in the you know, the new age community loves their Ormus here in, here in LA. And Ormus is great when it's made well, right? And Ormus is pretty simple. Um, it's bioavailable nutrients from salt. So if you take uh, Dead Sea salt or pink Himalayan salt, you raise the pH with lye, and then you uh, lower the pH with vinegar, it makes the salt bioavailable. So when I discovered that I had my own Ormus factory in my pee, and I don't have to do any type of uh, alchemical anything i just literally pee in a jar and then bam i've I've got tons of ormus and uh so so mike i remember i told you um a recipe when we were hanging out and you said oh okay you got to put this on the podcast so i i do have a very interesting ormus recipe i don't know should we share it do we have time should i go into it it's oh uh, yeah ormus uh, thing. yes yes this is really cool i want bear to hear about this too okay so i like to say that there are a lot of uh offshoots to the philosopher's stone there are a lot of there's not just one path there are many different like uh i like to call them like geez precursors to the philosopher's stone they may not make you live forever but they could help you heal deeply so i sort of discovered this um shivambu recipe a few years ago in tulum and tulum is a magical place where we can receive a lot of cool downloads and psychic information and i had one of my greatest alchemical sort of uh like I said, downloads in Tulum. So I'm going to go over this. Uh, I should be able to sum this up in about two minutes, this very interesting recipe. Well, uh, and before I get into this recipe, I just want to ask, Bear, you've made your own kombucha before, right? You know how to grow a kombucha scoby? Yeah. Well, okay, and, yeah. and Bear, yeah, actually, I, we actually prefer Jun, but go ahead. Cool, cool, cool. Yeah, I have okay. an heirloom Jun uh, culture cool. that's really great. Groovy, groovy. So so what I found is that the Ormus in your urine loves kombucha scobies. <laughs> they, they create a symbiotic relationship. Now, here's my process that I discovered in Tulum. So basically, you take a big jar, you fill it with your urine. It might take one to, you know, 10 different peas, and then you've, you've got a big jar of urine. So within 30 minutes, the Ormus settles at the bottom of the jar, and you can see it. It starts to look cloudy. So take that jar and pour out the top half of the urine, but don't pour out the bottom. So that way the Ormus stays in there. So pour out the top half and then fill that with fresh urine and wait an hour. And then that Ormus settles and then repeat it. Pour out the top half, fill it with fresh urine and that Ormus will settle. So if you do that every day, pour out the top half, put in fresh urine, let the Ormus settle. Within a month, you'll have a lot of Ormus at the bottom. And I mean like a stack, like, ooh, what am I gonna do with all this Ormus? You can eat it. You can do all kinds of things with it. It doesn't taste uh, gross or, or bad or anything. Your urine might taste a little uh, pungent depending on your diet, but the Ormus is like Ormus. It tastes like Ormus, it's very neutral. It, it reacts in my body the same way the Ormus I buy at the store does. So here's my recipe. So you take the Ormus from your urine and then you pour out all of the urine from your jar except for the Ormus. Now you're just left with Ormus and a little bit of pee. So get your... I would get GT's uh, original kombucha, 
the dark bottle, the blue one. So you want a plain kombucha with a mother in it, basically. You don't want any fruit in there and you want a little bit of a mother forming. So I get like four of those GT kombuchas. And then I pour one of the uh, kombuchas into the jar with the Ormus and I let the Ormus settle. And then I pour out the kombucha, but not the Ormus. So I'm washing the pee out of the Ormus. And then I repeat that three more times. Pour in a kombucha, let the Ormus settle, then pour out the kombucha. Pour in the kombucha, let the Ormus settle, pour out, pour out the kombucha. And then on the fourth kombucha, I pour a kombucha in there, put a coffee filter on the jar and let it sit for about two weeks. Now, basically all I'm doing is growing a kombucha scoby with my Ormus at the bottom. That's all I'm really doing. But the reason I, I washed out the Ormus was to get all the urine out so the pH will be low enough. Because remember the urine pH is quite high, it's six, seven, eight, nine. And then kombucha is like at a two or 2.5 or so. So this is, now this is when things get fascinating. So when your kombucha scoby starts forming on the surface of your kombucha, the Ormus actually comes alive. And by day three, it grows little tentacles and it attaches itself to the SCOBY as it's forming and they create a symbiotic relationship. So within two weeks, the Ormus has taken on a life of its own, made love to the SCOBY and they've attached to each other. And it, it kind of looks like a jellyfish or, a, or an alien. It's like this, the Ormus becomes this curtainy type of thing. I mean. We got to do this again. We, we need to get the word out here about this because this is, this is wild stuff. So, uh, so after your uh, SCOBY is formed and the Ormus is attached to the SCOBY and, you've, and it's set there for about two weeks, that's when I pour my sweet tea in there, right? Um, I, I think I was doing like chamomile, coconut sugar. You do whatever you want, you know, any kind of sugar tea. And you pour it in your SCOBY Ormus concoction and then let that sit for two weeks. And you're creating kombucha with your DNA in it. You're creating kombucha with your Ormus, your essence in it. And what, when you tell this little concoction what you want, it actually responds to your thoughts. I mean, this is really deep psychic stuff. So when you, you know, there's no books on this stuff. This is just stuff I made up. And, and all this, this, I'm saying this, we need to research this kind of stuff because this, um, this is kind of next level. And I hardly know what I'm doing yet. You're making, dude, you're making fantastic for all you know, you're creating venom or something, you know, from the Spider-Man villain. He's like, you're creating, that's going to become a kind of suit. And then you're going to be wearing that. Um, One thing, one thing that Eric, I know you love your Marvel movies. Um, Eric, one thing that I I love that you bring up too, it's like, this is known and stuff. What, what thing we talked about a lot, which I want to get into a little bit later is there's a tendency for people in a truth they're seeing to want to find knowledge and wisdom by going on YouTube and Google and stuff. But one thing that you're really good at is meditating and just finding truth internally and, and, and finding and following your intuition and tapping into the hyper dimensions of consciousness. And for all, you know, you're getting that message from the urine telling you to do this and you could be discovering a great new modality that could be uh, important medicine for the so, future. Yeah. It's a yeah, symbiotic just, relationship. Just a- Go ahead, Barry. Just a couple quick comments, Eric. This is a great conversation, by the way, right up my alley. Um, I make uh, the Ormus out of water. It's my favorite way. You know, I created a trap. It's it's like a dual vortex and has uh, chambers where the water naturally goes up with some ceramic magnets, and then it collects the Ormus, and then it kind of drips out one tube, and then it's kind of like a real thick, milky substance. That's all the Ormus stuff. Yeah. So just coincidentally... Um, 
oh, I don't know, maybe about a half a dozen years ago or so, I started with the Ormus water using that to create my um, jun. And, you know, I age it in wood barrels and, you know, wow. do my jun. So I've been using Ormus actually for making jun for quite a few years. And I swear it's, it's like pretty amazing. The effects Incredible. you get because jun is... John is uh, borderline psychedelic in and of itself. There's something to it. And then uh, I found when you, you know, make it with the Ormus, it, you know, a lot of information comes to uh, wow. final Well, and, and real quick, Barrett, just so people know what John is, if you're not familiar, John is essentially like a kombucha. They call it the champagne of kombucha, but you use honey instead of traditional sugar. And it's traditionally what a, a green tea um, is that right, uh, Bear? Does that not really matter as much? But the, yeah, the, yeah, you use green tea and honey instead of the, black tea and sugar. The important aspect so, is the honey, and I think some of the psychedelic nature comes from the honey from the bees. Anyways, go ahead. Yeah, I, I agree. All the elements uh, I just find are you know uh, much kind of neater and create a whole different effect. Um, so here's another uh, couple comments, and I hope I don't just confuse things. I'll make this as quick as possible. You know, when we're talking about Ormus, and I have a little history there, because I went back in the uh, late 80s, uh, early 90s, I hooked up with Dave Hudson when he first made that discovery of Ormus. Wow. And, uh, you know, the, the term was coined uh, orderly rearranged monatomic elements, which kind of um, reverts back to the old atomic theory uh, kind of concept, which mm. has been debunked so many times. Mm. So what we're really talking about is waveforms, you know, when we mm -hmm. talk about elements, we're not talking about physical substances. Now, Ormus, uh, I believe, should be more correctly called transitional elements because if you look at the elements on a periodic table, you'll see that those are keynotes. Now, in between the keynotes, say, you know, you go into the fifth octave, you have hydrogen that, you know, ends up, you know, uh, going into carbon, they're all in a state of transition all the time. Now, in between those keynotes that we recognize as the major elements, there are these harmonics that have all of the information that makes everything work. Just like what makes music sound good is not somebody like me just that knows how to plunk one note at a time, but somebody who can masterfully put some chords together and have the you know rich uh, informational fields included in that. So nature, you know, does the same exact thing. And those transitional elements, and I'm trying to relate this to your Scoby story, um, what they do is they uh, say between two keynotes, they will build momentum in a pressure-like situation, just like playing a pipe organ, so that that element that started at point A will eventually go to element you know, at point B, and it does so in a building of pressure along the way until it can pop that next keynote. And then, of course, that'll go through tonal fields in different octaves, and then it'll jump an octave. But then at each octave, there's portals we, you know, relate to as inert gases and things that are the Akashic records of everything. So here's what I'm trying to convey, but probably very poorly, is, uh, you know, we're talking about informational fields. We're talking about transitional elements. Uh, they absolutely would be like a living technology within a SCOBY because the SCOBY with that culture knows exactly what it's doing too. If anybody understands mycelium on any level and they work brilliantly together. And I witnessed the same exact things happening in some of my concoctions when I combine those two technologies, because you're talking about living intelligences. And then when you take mm -hmm. it from your own body, going back to mm -hmm. urine, you know, it's even got more information unique to your experience in that. So 
Um, uh, yeah, fantastic. So sorry for the interruption. Go ahead. No, amazing. That's that's really cool. You've been on this tip since back in the day, and I, w- I really want to try some of your June uh, Ormus stuff. And I've seen videos of that uh, of people making Ormus out of water with these like pipes and magnets. So when you talk about that, I was like, I, I've seen that recently. So that's that's really cool that you're on that tip. Yeah. And if you have a good water source, like we do, we have, you know, spring water that comes out of miles of bedrock, you know, just vortexing for who knows how many miles, you know, beneath the earth's surface. Um, it's very rich in Ormus. Ormus used to be very abundant, but now in our regular water and food, it's very, very right. limited. And that's why when you can concentrate uh, Ormus the way, you know, our urine normally concentrates it uh, amongst other things and that's why you know it's really like a tonic yeah it's interesting i was just gonna say bear it's interesting that you that ormus used to be plentiful and you think that might relate to the to the what wilhelm reich even talked about the desert desert desertification of reality due to the toxic uh, consciousness that has been taking over this realm versus the vital kind of more aware consciousness that touches into what uh, would, I guess you could call time space or the quantum realm or whatever. And how, if we can get back to more of that, like divine consciousness, the transitional elements will be becoming basically popping into this density, into this materialism more. Um, and so there really oh, there, is a yeah. connection between that consciousness and this physicality with these transitional elements. They're the delicate transitional elements that, um, you know, are more vulnerable to the, the more noxious, phoratic uh, kind of short waveforms that we, you know, are bathing in in all our microwave technologies now. So they take a hit mm-hmm. first. They're ceramic state, they're pre-metallic and and they get destroyed. And then now we're missing out on all the informational fields that our bodies need to repair and rejuvenate and keep ourselves youthful. Yeah. So, uh, wow, my mind's spinning right now. Um, so, Me too. <laughs> uh, age urine enemas, that's something maybe, I mean, I want to ca- kind of move on to yeah. uh, how you got into rebirthing and holotropic breath yeah. work, but real quick on the age, uh, urine enema. So you got into that later and how often do you do those? How long do you age your, uh, urine for? And I, for someone who's looking to try that, like myself, I haven't ever done them. I heard it can kind of burn and be kind it, of, it burns, but it's a good burn. It's a so, good burn. <laughs> okay. So, um, how often do you do them and what's your process real quick? And then we'll move, we'll move on. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so I, I aged the urine in a jar with a coffee filter for at least a month. And then I do one enema and then evacuate and, and then a second enema that stays up there. And um, it does burn, but I like to talk about there's such thing as what I like to say, good pain and bad pain. And even though it burns the colon a little bit, it's it, what it does to your insides. It's incredible. It, it didn't just heal my colon. I mean, the the I don't think the stem cells are getting through the blood barrier, but there's other juju that is like get chakras. And it actually like, it really invigorates uh, my second chakra a lot. And I mean, the emotion and the, I mean, the sexual chi is incredible and everything just works better uh, with aged urine enemas. I, um, I, w- I used to be in the coffee enemas a lot. And, and, uh, and when I was trying to beat cancer, I was doing coffee enemas. And I almost OD'd off a of coffee enema one time because I was a little... I did it a little irresponsibly and basically I was just basically dehydrated 
and I made the coffee enema a little too strong. And so it was like a nuke went off in my body, but it probably helped me uh, get rid of any sort of cancerous stuff that could have been left in there. So once I discovered aged urine enemas, I was like, ooh, I don't know if I'm gonna do coffee anymore, but I still am a huge advocate for coffee enemas because it creates the L-glutathione, you know, this blood cleaning enzyme and coffee enemas, completely different than drinking it. Uh, but the the aged urine is, is enemas is really fantastic. And I think it's one of the ultimate ways to do an enema. And, and I, before we move on, there's one last thing I'd like to say about this um, urine therapy phenomenon. So, uh, okay. So there's this book called The Water of Life. Um, I just got a copy. I've read some of it when I, when I had cancer. Basically, it's this doctor and he puts all these cancer patients on the same protocol, the same diet. It's drink every drop of their pee uh, and water, and that's it. No food, just every drop of your own urine. And uh, and you have to rub aged urine on your all of your skin three times a day. And according to this protocol, he cured all his cancer patients. Now, with what I've seen now with aged urine, I, I believe it, you know. But this is when things, this is the last thing I want to say about it. Um, so there's this channeled book uh, about Jesus's grandmother, Anna, and so channeled book, so we can call it historical fiction. And in this book, uh, she gives techniques on how she became an immortal yogi. So uh, Anna is part of the Babaji lineage, and, and which, is, which I'm connected to as well, and, and we'll get into that in a little bit. But the last thing I want to say is that in this book, Anna said that her technique to, be, to, to rejuvenate her body was that she would fast and then go in this cave that had a sarcophagus. And in the sarcophagus, there was a amniotic plasma-like fluid. It says that in the book. And she would wrap herself in cloth and soak in this amniotic plasma-like fluid for 50 years. And then she'd come out looking like a young person again. Now, if you know about the legends of Baba G, that's what they say these great immortal yogis would do, right? They go in the cave for 50 years, come out looking like a young man. And, and I'm sure they just did it through meditation because if you believe in who Babaji is, he's an incarnation of, of God. So, uh, so Anna is giving a technique on, on how she lived to be 600 years old. And supposedly, according to this book, she drenched herself in aged urine and, and fasted. And strangely enough, it makes logical sense. <laughs> <laughs> um, just, uh, just a quick story. Uh, there's a gentleman that I'd like to get on the show here. His name's Dean Clifford, and uh, he's uh, more in the sovereignty circles up in Canada. Great guy. Uh, but he was thrown in uh, jail the last time, and he's, uh, you know, became very health conscious in his journey and didn't want to eat any jail food or drink horrible water while he was in jail. And he was in there for a good number of months, and he just drank his urine. And uh, as he described, came out, you know, wouldn't ha have ingest anything else. And he did that the entire time and came out. He felt just feeling healthier than he ever had in his whole life. So totally. uh, if, if uh, unfortunately, somebody gets shackled and chained and dragged in the slammer, you know, it's a good way to not only survive, but th thrive and detox while you're in there. It, absolutely. I mean, you're stuck at sea, you're stuck in the desert. Uh, God forbid the power grid and the water goes out. You know, I always like to make the joke, well, I'm going to outlive everybody if the power grid goes out. But I mean, it's uh, this, yeah, um, Shavambu, urine therapy, whatever you want to call it, is what I believe, ultimate sovereignty.
I mean, it really is. This is like saying, hey, I, I just need myself. Like, give me a little bit of water, a little bit of food. I'll take care of the rest. That's why they call it looping because you're looping your own waters. And yeah, yeah. And I, that's a really cool story. Uh, incremental step towards breatharianism, I guess. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, and, yeah. And totally. one other little tidbit that might be interesting, you know, everybody's worried about blood clots these days for people that have taken the gene therapy. And, uh, you know, glutathione, as you already mentioned, you know, that you get raised 600%, you know, raised in your bloodstream when you do a coffee enema, that does break down the, um, the two-dimensional graphene that, you know, is found to be causing a lot of the clotting mechanism in that experimental medical procedure. But also in urine, there's something, uh, correct me if I'm wrong, isn't, I'm trying to remember, is it uro, uh, urokinase? Mm urokinase and that also uh breaks down the fibrin that could create pop possible clotting um issues you know and especially these days where people are having that provoked by this medical procedure raise your glutathione uh get some urokinase uh in your bloodstream and then something else on a biological level called mucoracemosis would be a great idea too. And then calamir or cell salt. So those four things, you know, you can really normalize the viscosity of your blood and maybe even come out the other end unscathed, even if you've had the medical procedure. Yeah. Yeah. Groovy. We are self-sustaining healing machines. Aren't we incredible? <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> We really True. are. And, and what's powerful too about this um, is that we, you know, a lot of people in our community and in a lot of these like health alternative health communities are so focused on diet and so focused on, you know, some people are like, you got to eat all fatty meats. And we've had a guest on recently. So you got to eat brains. Uh, you got to eat this, you got to eat this to detox, you know, with the, the graphenes and the, um, all the, all the nasty stuff out there. And I think it, what we can really surmise from what we've talked about today is th that we don't have to be so dependent on the idea of, of having to worry so much about a specific thing we eat. As long as we're conscious, then intuitively we will follow what our body needs, whether that be drinking your own urine, whether that be eating cow brains. Um, everybody's different. Everybody has a different journey that they're on. And it really comes down to going within and being in really tapping into your own consciousness and not being so concerned with the Maya and the physicality of what the specific diet is. That is the right diet. Yeah, absolutely. Everybody's unique case. And, and we're also, our, we're also mixed and our, our parents ate different, our parents' ancestors ate different food and, um, or sorry, like, like our mother's ancestors ate different foods and our father's ancestors. And now they've come together and we're this hybrid. And, uh, and we're, we're, we're really at a crossroads. We're like, because our, um, because there's so many different blood types and each blood type sort of uh, gravitates toward different foods. It seems like we're reaching a place where we're really, we're figuring out what's, <laughs> what food is good for us individually. It's so hard to put this in the words because, um, you guys know what I'm trying to say here? Well, the other thing too, Eric, that you brought up with when we were hanging out, and this was really like kind of trippy to me was relating to how we incarnated and how, when we were born and how we came out of our mother. So do you remember oh. when we were talking about if you were, if you came out early on time or late, 
from yeah. when you were supposed to in terms of the birthing process. And maybe this is a great segue into the bir- rebirthing breathwork. Yeah, yeah, uh, yeah. Let's let's move to the breathwork stuff. Totally. Because your little, I don't know <laughs> so, if this is your theory or whatnot, but no. um, okay. So talk about what I'm what I was kind of yeah. introducing here: yeah. the idea of of your birth, your actual physical birth. And how that sets a lot of your path of your life. Totally. Okay. So, uh, so my teacher, as you mentioned, DP Mahesh, his teacher was Leonard Orr, and Leonard Orr coined the term rebirthing and wrote many books on uh, healing the birth trauma through breathwork. So, depending on how we come out, we're going to have different issues. So, for example, I am uh, a C-section baby, and I was five days late. So, I just discovered that's why I have a hard time waking up in the morning. So people who are late tend to wake up late in the morning because the bed is like your womb. And people who are right on time and who come out naturally, they tend to wake up a lot better in the morning, a lot easier. So our birth trauma or our birth sort of sets the tone for the rest of our lives. And the good news is we can heal it, right? I mean, like I said, I'm a C-section baby. I was late. And I'm doing a great job. Here I am alive, healing amazingly. And it's but- funny, I had the same thing when we were going over this. I was a forceps baby. I was, um, I had a lot of, I had some complications coming out and I came out really late or not really late, but I came out late and I have problems with getting up in the morning. <laughs> I still do. I tried the, yeah. the wake up at five in the morning and do a cold shower thing. And I, it, and I've done it and it was just really hard. I'm definitely more of a night owl. So yeah, that is too. really interesting. Yeah. Also, and there's there's so many birth traumas that uh, that that will sh- uh, pave the way for the rest of your life. So, for example, some people, some kids are born with uh, umbilical cord wrapped around their neck, and those kids always have a hard time speaking their truth. Ironically, I know a lot of those kids become singers and pop stars. They really want to express themselves. Wow. <laughs> uh, but uh, but a lot of times they have a hard time breathing. You know, um, or or but but. What I want to do, if I decide to have children, I want a dolphin to be my, uh, mid, my the midwife. I want a dolphin to be the midwife. <laughs> and that is, a, that is a thing, you know. And there's a, there's a uh, video on YouTube of a woman giving birth at, with a dolphin as the midwife. And What? This is yeah, new yeah, to me. This is you got to see it. <laughs> what? Yeah, it's incredible. And, you know, these dolphins are fascinated by babies and they're fascinated by pregnant people and they're really fascinated by someone giving birth. So you can see what it looks like when a dolphin sends a pregnant woman sonar signals. And those kids who have dolphins as midwives, those kids grow up to be taller, smarter, psychic, rich, you know, they're just become incredible human beings. So that's, uh, so, so that's, flip, that's so flipper the midwife. Um, <laughs> wow, and 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 I of course a lot of people are aware of this: the idea that dolphins might not even be from here; they're from somewhere else, so they're highly spiritually evolved. Uh, it could be beings. from Sirius. Um, yeah, and and then I have people now rolling their eyes. Oh, they're talking about planets. This is the only realm. Okay, guys, whatever. Um, however you want to, yeah. to define how these other places exist, whether they're other dimensions or other layers of the reality, there is a lot of fascinating research done with dolphins and how they seem to be from somewhere else. And they're super tapped into us psychically on many levels. So um, I'm going to watch that video because that just uh-huh. rocked, my, rocked my mind right there. Yeah, I, I have a, I've been having a lot of dolphin experiences lately being here in Malibu. So I go out to the beach and I do my little breath work and 
and I stare at the water and I'm doing breath work and dolphins, they come and jump right in front of my, my sight. And I know they know I can see them. I'm like, you guys know I'm here. And they're so incredible. They have bigger brains than us, you know, not that it, not that that matters, but. <laughs> so do you think when you're meditating, you can call them in? I think, I don't think, I'm not consciously calling them in. I think they can feel me doing breath work and they just want to say hello. And that, that's what I feel, but it happens very often. And what's really mind blowing is how they jump right in front of my vision. Not a little to the left, not a little to the right, but right in the middle. So that's when I'm, I'm like, thanks. Thanks God. That's a little wink from the universe, you know? We had a we had a place in the islands, you know, you had to hike into it. It was pretty remote in this little secret beach, we called it. And we'd go there and surf. But then uh, we'd go paddle like way, way out, you know, beyond the breakers and everything. And uh, it's just so deep, you know, it's like you're suspended in space. But if you were out there for more than about five minutes, you'd just be surrounded by hundreds of these spinner dolphins and every <laughs> single time. And, you know, we were there for years and went out there many times. And, and again, within moments, they'd be around you, just in your face, playing with you. And we always had kind of a, a nice crew that went out there because that's what we went out for. And so, yeah, they know who's wow. out there and what you're doing and when you're there for sure. Yeah, yeah. So incredible. Uh, someone in DLive said Igor Chiskarsky, if I'm saying that right, was the male midwife who assisted over 20,000 underwater births utilizing dolphins. Groovy. I want to meet this guy. Wow. So, um, okay. That is fascinating. And maybe, uh, something, uh, to delve into for, I know some, uh, expected mothers, um, moving forward, rebirthing process. So how did you get into this with your, uh, what led you down this path? Yeah. So, so when I was, um, 27, I had what can be, uh, defined as a premature kundalini awakening while everything is truly perfect. Um, I didn't know, I didn't have a bad time, but when I was 27, I never heard about, I thought spirituality was science fiction at that point. And I had someone let me borrow a book called the idiot's guide to chakras. I'm like, Oh yeah, I want to learn about yoga. Sure. And it had this chapter on kundalini and it said that I can raise my kundalini energy by holding my breath and doing my kegels. Now, Remind you, I, I had never meditated. I had never um, cleansed or, or, or done any psychedelics and gone internal, nothing like that. But this book said, I'll know the meaning of life if I hold my breath and do my Kegel exercise. So I'm like, why? Well, I know how to do those two things. So, um, <laughs> so I tried it out and, and I held my breath, did my Kegels um, and kept pump, like I did pump release, pump release. And within about three minutes, I, I, I activated my Kundalini energy. So it didn't go up to my seventh chakra, right? The thousand petal Lotus. It seemed to go up to my sixth and went, it didn't shoot out this way. It more shot out that way. But it was like, Whoa, I started shaking and laughing. And I was like, what is this? I guess this is Kundalini, huh? And, um, I mean, I was living in Hollywood at that point. So I was high on Kundalini going out the bars and eating chicken. You know, I was like, <laughs> I was having a great old time. So after those, and, and during those six months, I just researched, I had brand new things to research. What is a pineal gland? What is a Kundalini? What is yoga? You know, all these very basic things. And so it peaked, uh, it peaked after about two weeks and then it declined after about six months. So after about six months, I kind of felt back to normal. And I was like, wow, that was a trip. Now, how do I get it back? You know, <laughs> so uh, and then, of course, I started Kundalini yoga 
uh, Kundalini Yoga, stopped by Yogi Bhajan, and I tried some of these different, uh, more fluffy, uh, weaker um, practices. But then this flyer for a breathwork class landed on my doorstep back when I was 32. And, um, and that was my teacher, DP Mahesh was on it. And so me and my late wife, we went and did our first rebirthing breathwork class. And the first time I did it, and I went in the Tetney, I was like, oh my God, this is it. This is what I've been looking for. And I'm teaching this to everyone. It, it was, it was so no duh, who wouldn't want to teach this? You know, that's what I don't understand. This is like amazing. And I always highly encourage people to share this beautiful technique. Cause I mean, it's the easiest thing in the world. I'm just helping people breathe. Like what could be easier and what could be more gratifying and, and liberating. So, um, so once I got into rebirthing and, and Mahesh, who was a student of Landon or Mahesh, uh, was happy to be my teacher. And he has these retreats once a year in Hadikan Ashram that was started by Hadikan Baba or Hadikan Babaji. And, uh, and I went there and I was trained about two years ago. And, uh, and he trained me in five element breathwork. So what the five element breathwork is, it's, it's doing holotropic breathwork or uh, AKA rebirthing breathwork in five different environments. So the, the environment that most people are used to is the air element environment. That's just laying down or sitting up doing your breath work. So imagine doing your rebirthing breath work or holotropic breath work buried in the ground up to your neck for an hour. Wow. You really connect with the earth. Eric, before we, go in, yeah. before we go into the five elements, because this is yeah. really was fascinating to me, can we explain, just back up in a second and explain what, how rebirthing breath work works, holotropic sure. birth work, what is the actual modality, what is the, the process for those yeah. this is new to? Yeah, absolutely. So when we are doing what's called conscious connected breathing, or we're taking very deep breaths and keeping it rhythmic and relaxing on our exhale, uh, when we breathe like that, no matter who you are, you're going to go through a very uh, particular experience if you're a human being. Now, most people, what happens is within 30 minutes, uh, about 50% of people will get tetany, their hands will cramp up, and within 30 minutes, they'll start releasing old traumas. They are initially... Um, our traumas are stored in our... I, I think our, a lot of our traumas are stored in our nerves, but it could be a lot deeper than that. So you're activating your nerves and you're pushing out the traumas out of your nerves and they're rising to the surface so you can see them and release them on the spot. And it's, it's, it's pretty easy. So basically breathe as deep as you can for an hour. You'll, you'll, you won't just start releasing old traumas. You're, you're detoxing the body in the most gnarly of ways because we detox 70% of toxins out of our breath. So people talk about juice fast this and detox that, but if you're not doing breath work, then you're doing yourself a disservice. So initially breath work is the ultimate detoxifier of emotions and physical toxins. Does yeah. that make sense? <laughs> yes. And so it's uh, go ahead, Bear. Cause, and I was just going to say for those that are interested in a really great download on breath work, uh, Bear and I did a year and a half ago now, maybe God, almost two years now, Bear, we did a whole alpha cast on different breath work modalities and we touched on this. We didn't really go into holotropic and rebirthing, but we did go into a lot of other modalities. Um, so this is great that we're going to cover this one. Uh, go ahead, Bear. Yeah, just to tie it all together too, Eric, um, you know, it's, it's more than just um, breathing air. You know, the air is what contains the actual organic matter. 
it's real organic, you know, precursor to matter. And then those elements that we're talking about, the ormus, the, the hynos, whatever you want to think of them as, the, the cell salts that are very plentiful in the urine, um, those uh, inorganic elements then resonate the organic matter in the atmosphere. And that's exactly where we get the abundance of nutrition for our bodies. You know, and the average person that's even not that healthy, you get 75% of your nutrition from the atmosphere. When you start doing some of the things you're talking about, doing them consciously, now you're extracting even more out of the atmosphere and needing to rely less and less on just, you know, uh, breaking down crude foodstuffs. And then, you know, when you go into the um, Asian medical arts, you know, we talk about the triple burner and everything, and they describe exactly what you're talking about, which is the interaction of, uh, you know, the elements from the breath and then mixing with, uh, you know, the different compartments that break down food and other things to make the organic elements uh, available to interact with the residents of the inorganic or, uh, yeah, inorganic. So anyway, um, yeah, what you're talking about is very science-based and um, and doing it the way you're doing it consciously is just going to yield benefits tremendously beyond what our bodies are trying to do all the time anyway. You, mm, you know, what's interesting too, bear bringing it back to the orgone, which is the universal energy, the chi, the prana, um, is the breath, the alchemic reaction of taking the inorganic with the organic and putting them together, just like orgone, right? Which is what orgone does. What Wilhelm Reich found is taking an inorganic material, uh, like, um, which just means, you know, like a rock or something, right. Uh, in, in classic chemistry, I guess, inorganic, would be what without car what's inorganic without carbon um I'm, i was always terrible in chemistry and then with an organic material what he does is like a resin right or something like that or do i have it flipped anyways smashing those together and and creating that alchemical reaction of that is releasing that is bringing that energetic in the breath we're doing that with every in breath and out breath that's why they say you know it's literally breathing in god right um, and so we can do that <laughs> with the simple thing of breathing. It's such a fascinating it, that to think that we have everything at our fingertips, our urine, our breath, our, our, and then of course the word and our language, and we're going to get into music towards the end here and our ability to speak our reality into this material realm. So anyways, so easy guys it's right here in front of us it's right in front of us you know and and going back to um what bear was saying um so i you just helped me understand breathwork a little deeper <laughs> because something that leonard orr says is that we have to learn to breathe prana not just breathe air and that kind of sounds like what you're talking about like we're, we're doing more like when you're breathing consciously you're actually taking in more prana than air and that that's actually hard for me to wrap my head around i'm still trying to figure that one out but there's something to be said with uh, breathing consciously. Completely. And that's, you know, when you go back to the old practices, like within martial arts and things that, you know, I learned for a long time, you know, you're, you're not just um, conceptualizing breathing prana, but you're training yourself to see it as you're breathing it. You're training mm. yourself to conjure mm. it out of the atmosphere, hold it in your hand, feel it. Um, you know, circulate it through your body. It's just, you know, uh, air is no longer just kind of empty yeah. space. It's actually substance. 
Yeah. And, and you have to experience it. And you're, what you're describing is a way to experience it firsthand and make that so real that now you're on a whole different level. Totally. Totally. You know, that, that's really cool. I, um, I asked my, my teacher, um, Mahesh, um, well, I asked him, what's the difference of the way you're teaching breathwork to Westerners compared to the way you've done breathwork as a monk? Because my, my teacher was a monk for seven years. And he said, well, in the West, we're just more concerned with breathing. Just make sure that you're breathing right. He said, in the East, we actually will visualize the breath and see it. I was like, oh. and, and he said, besides that, it's about the same. I was like, wow. So I'm doing monk stuff. That's cool. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, it's, uh, should I, should I continue on the, uh, the five element? Um, yeah. Yeah. Okay. Cool. Cool. So depending on the environment that you're in, your, uh, your breathing session is going to be very unique. So as you know, you guys have done the air element was just laying down or sitting up and, and then we call those dry sessions. So before moving on to different elements, it's highly recommended that you do at least three big dry sessions and that way you've it won't get too intense when you're dealing with the other other elements and so, and that being said eric are you saying to do that with a practitioner having someone lead you through it isn't that usually the typical way or is it okay to do it solo by yourself once you kind of know what you're doing and also i i have done it with led by people in my head in the headphones remotely as well so, but just wondering what you say is the best way to especially if you're just starting yeah that's a great question um I highly recommend that you get a sitter or, or someone to help you through the breathing process. Uh, but I really encourage everybody to do it on their own. Hey, if you can lay down and breathe as deep as you can for an hour and a half and do it well, then by all means do it. But most people won't. And most people uh, will do a lot better if you have someone sitting next to you, making sure that you are doing this correctly. And, and that goes even for me, like in the beginning, I, uh, I mean, as soon as I learned this, I started doing it on my own immediately, you know, but I definitely have done some sessions since then with someone leading me. And it's really nice to have someone holding me accountable. So uh, do it on your own if you can. If you can't get a, get a teacher to help you go, you know, get going. So. Um, so, yeah, so let's talk a little bit about the about this, about the elements, about breathing with the elements. And it's so fascinating. And, and the whole reason that Leonard Orr decided to call this style of breathwork rebirthing is because he did it in a warm bathtub and he recreated um, the experience of coming out of his mother's womb again. So, okay. So, um, so if you breathe, so if you, if you do the holotropic breathwork in a warm bathtub, if you're in a warm environment, I mean, you go right in the tetany, you go right into the pain. It's, it's very intense. And I, <laughs> Actually, I highly recommend that if you want to do rebirthing in a warm, uh, some warm water, you should definitely have a sitter because if you get cramped and you can't move, it's going to be hard to get out and you don't want to put yourself in a scary situation. So if you're new to this and you want to try it, make sure you have a, a sitter in the, in the warm water. Uh, and in the cold water, it's a completely different experience. You probably won't get tetany and it actually invigorates and, and it empowers you and the uh, the cold water, you know, Wim Hof is the the cold water king, and so as we all know, the cold water is really great, but very different experience than the warm water. The warm water is more about going very deep, very internal, and healing some really deep stuff. 
And uh, that, that's, well, that's my second favorite. My, my favorite element is, is the fire. And, we got and, and in right the here. warm, and in the warm water, it's okay to pee because you're just, <laughs> well, you, well, you know it. <laughs> of course, of course. Um, but my, my favorite is the fire. And for me, I'm a very emotional dude and, and I'm a, I'm a clear sentient. And I, I think I can say that uh, and own it. I, I feel a lot and sometimes too much. Um, so when I sit in front of a fire, it clears my auric field. Now, here's another aspect. We're going to get into this aspect of emotional energetic pollution after I finish talking about the five elements. But the ultimate way to clear your auric field is sitting next to a fire or salt water is, is really effective. Um, okay, so, so we talked about the, the earth element a, a few minutes ago. You can do breath work uh, buried in the earth up to your neck. That's incredible. I have a, actually, uh, I was doing a little bit of that in Maui. And Maui, it was the first time the land, this was about two years ago. I was, I was doing breath work in Maui uh, uh, in the dirt and, and Maui spoke to me. I've never had land just speak to me. And the, Maui told me very clearly, it said, you must pray out loud. I was like, well, I'm getting goosebumps right now saying that. And I was like, really? Yes. Okay. So then I started doing a little prayer out loud, very potent. And then I went to hang out with my buddle, my, my buddy, uh, Michael Hathaway, and he's a, he's a kind of a famous kirtan artist. And uh, he was in Maui the same time I was there. And I said, I said, Michael, I just, I just had Maui just spoke to me and told me to pray out loud. He said, bro, let me tell you first time I came to Maui in 96, Maui told me to pray out loud. And it said, uh, and I said, God, if I'm supposed to pray out loud, send me a sign. And I saw a shooting star. And then I met someone else on the island who said, oh, yeah, Maui, pray out loud. And then I met someone else who said, well, yeah, the indigenous people here in Maui prayed out loud. I was like, oh, well, that's cool. So I just wanted to share yeah, that. Yeah, kahuna, like, the kahunas. We, we were fortunate enough in Bear, I'll let Bear go because actually I got to go take a piss. Uh, maybe I'll go catch it midstream and bring it back and drink it. <laughs> um, but uh, Bear, the kahunas, right? That's their whole deal. I'll be right back. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And, uh, you know, Maui, I spent a lot, a lot of years here, and that was back when it was kind of more outer island vibe before it was built up. And uh, the old uh, practitioners, we'll say, from the indigenous cultures, because I had some um, uh, just relations with some of those folks because of some involvement, not just in the healing arts, but in legal matters in the Hawaiian sovereignty movement. So we, we got, you know, connected with a lot of the original folks there. And uh, they were very matter of fact, just about hearing voices in Maui. And we lived out, you know, off grid in the boonies. And there's this one area in particular where you go up a little creek and the waterfall on our property. And, and anybody that went up there could hear voices, you know, the old ones. The, uh, the veils are very thin because of a, you know, a whole different culture, a belief system. And there's a history of Hawaii that people really aren't aware of, you know, the, the folks that are there now that are more the Tahitians that later sell, uh, settled it um, and displaced the original Hawaiians, which are the myths of the Menahunis, uh, you know, and then that goes back to the time of Lemuria and all that sort of mm -hmm. thing, which, uh, you know, the, again, the locals there, uh, a lot of the population are very um, well versed in their true history. So, um, you know, when you go there, you realize there's a whole different element acting that is easy for you to communicate with. And uh, you love uh, Maui, of course, because you've got Pele, the fire element there big time. Mm -hmm. You know, um, 
Okay, Mike's back now, and fortunately, he's not sharing his uh, pee I with us. I was just thinking, though, that just this, the you know, take a piss. Why do we say that? Probably because you know, it was known back in the day you'd literally take your piss. So, anyways. <laughs> So uh, I want to get back in the elements, but just another comment about that. If you want to look at all elements like anything else as just different attributes, uh, you know, within waveforms and every waveform has many, you know, that give birth to what we think of as elements in the first place have uh, uh, different, um, you know, dimensions. We'll say sound is one of those dimensions. And so when you talk about elements, when you go back to the, the original teachings in Chinese medicine 5,000 years ago and interpret those in the mother tongue, you realize when they talk about earth element, um, you know, they're really talking about F sharp. When you're talking about fire, you know, you're talking about C sharp, you know, wood is A sharp, uh, water is D sharp, metal is G. Uh, so, you know, you're, you're talking about real tonal fields. So when you yeah. understand the dimensions of all these things, now you can really interchange, you know, meditations, breath work, whatever you can bring the proper sound in there, uh, depending yeah. if you want to stimulate or, or dampen a sound, then you, you know, bring in chords of fifths and thirds. And so, uh, and, and you're going to be a lot better versed than I am at this uh, as a musician, but it all ties together and also makes a lot of these exercises very practical. Yeah. F sharp, by the way, is my favorite key to jam in. That's, that's oh, jam. nice. nice. <laughs> yeah. yeah. It, it, it's interesting. Uh, yeah. There's, there's different interpretations of what keys go with what chakras and, um, and like you said, you know, you can you can sort of play to certain chakras, especially if you're if you're it, like with my work, if, if someone's doing breath work and I want them to open their heart, I will play an F or F sharp more up here and here. And, it, and it, it, it's pretty incredible. Like, I mean, sound is actually really simple. Like I, I I'm an, I'm just a regular audio engineer guy. You know, I'm, <laughs> I went to school in, in L.A. to to mix bands and, you know, I did that for a while, but. Being, coming from a music background, it actually helps me um, intuitively understand vibration more. You know, I, I kind of, because I, I understand a lot of these things intuitively, but a lot of times I can't put them into words. Like, oh, I know this, but I don't know how I know it. And, you know, the average person would be like, yeah, whatever. And a spiritual person would be like, eh, you're onto something. So, um, yeah, I, I think music should be the primary uh, discipline learned in all levels of school because it's, it's the whole agreed. thing wrapped up in one. Yeah. Agreed. Should we, um, should we take a little, uh, you guys want, do we have time to hear like a little three minute song? It's pretty quick. Love oh it. yeah. Sure. Love yeah it. Let's, okay. So this is really exciting. So this is just, um, this is my band. This band is actually called Shivambu. <laughs> and, uh, it's me on guitars and uh, I produced it as well. And my buddy Cyrus Vermeister on tablas and Ron John, uh, on vocals. And Ron John's the one who brought me into the Kirtan scene and said, Hey, we should start a Kirtan rock band. And this, this track kind of sounds like Alice in Chains gone Kirtan. Uh, so explain Kirtan real quick for those out there in the audience that don't know about it. Yeah. So, so Kirtan is a call and response type of uh, music or a type of song where uh, they, where the lead singer says a Sanskrit mantra and then the audience says it back to him. Yes. And so, I mean, it's pretty simple. How, um, old, how old do you think Kirtan is? <laughs> Since the beginning of time. <laughs> Back to the Vedics, you think? I, 
I, I would assume it's it's pretty ancient, but um, but also I've heard that there's been like a lot of English British influence, and they're the ones who actually brought in the harmonium and stuff. So uh, that's some I'm gonna have to because my yeah, because traditional <laughs> Indian music didn't quite have the the same kind of harmonium, right? It was all fits it's and not stuff. At all. Or, yeah, yeah, it's it's a totally different system. I don't even know anything about their original music, but I'm sure it's of a very high vibration. Mm-hmm. So those those Westerners came in and gave us their 12 note system all on 440. Come on, what were they thinking? So <laughs> so I'm also really into the 432 phenomenon. Should we mm-hmm. before I play this song, should we go over the 432? I, I, I would love that because um, I've wanted to bring on um, my buddy who does audio alchemy uh, head flux. And he at first was he I, we got to get him on there. Um, so he does uh, the have you heard of audio alchemy it was the uh, uh, it was a um, audio engineer producer academy kind of workshop that people from all over the world producers would come to learn uh, the whole art of, of producing and tuning and everything in 432 Hertz cool. and making 432 Hertz music head flux he's played he was like in the festival scene he's he left the big island and back to his home country uh in in the uk um but uh anyways uh, let's break it down for folks who are, are new to 432 okay yeah so in western music so when you turn on the radio uh it is tuned to 440 hertz now that is just a reference to the a note on the fifth uh um fret on a guitar it's a high and a ping and that's just, again, a reference to 440 hertz. Now, if you uh, do, now, if you cut that in half a couple times, um, you get 110. Now, 110 is, that's not a sacred number as far as we know. Now, if you tune to 432, that means you bring all the, you bring all the frequency down eight hertz across the board. So you lower everything down eight hertz. Now, when you, when you cut uh, 432 and half a couple times, you get 108 rather than 110. So what I'm, what I'm um, saying is that you see sacred numbers in the 432 tuning. You see sacred numbers in uh, different harmonics and different in different keys, and you don't see these sacred numbers in the standard 440 pitch, which which I find really interesting. So, but but. I mean, to really put like I've met amazing musicians who actually don't believe in 432 because they're so conditioned to 440 that they don't think eight hertz will make a big difference. But what any 432 advocate will tell you is that there are harmonic intervals in nature. There are intervals in frequency that resonate smoother in the human body. It's pretty simple, really. Like I'm no genius. I'm just a regular guy, but I'm a feeler. I can feel things deeply. And the first time I tuned my guitar to 432 and I played a chord. I was like, oh my God, this feels different. <laughs> it sounds almost the same, but it feels smoother. That's the best um, way I can describe it with words. It just feels smoother. That's a great so, way to say it. It, it does feel like, uh, kind of like when you're drinking structured water versus typical, you can feel the yeah. smoothness on your tongue. It's that yeah. same kind of consistency with the music because on a heavy sound system, when we had Head Flux play for us a couple years back in LA, um, it was like buttery sound coming out of those huge mm. subs and everything. And it was just mm. like, it's just very harmonic. It just feels good. It feels it's good, almost, yeah. Yeah, uh, two different things I know, but it's almost like vinyl, ver- you know, analog versus digital in a way. <laughs> totally, totally. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, it's all, all the people who don't believe in the 432 phenomenon, uh, 
they they're not feelers like we are. That's all I can say. You really do have to tap in. And if you have a hard time feeling, then just sit in, in silence, uh, still your body and really work on feeling it. If, if, if you can't feel a difference, you know, that's what I tell people, like, just sit still. I don't want to say meditate, but I'll say sit still and, and see how that feels. But anyway, so let's play this little, um, the uh, Shivambu, which is the Alice in Chains of Kirtan. And, uh, <laughs> okay. We're not going to have to, we're not going to call, have to call back to you. Are you, yeah. what are we doing? No, no call back. Uh, okay. So in this we're so in the, the way I recorded this is, uh, like I said, it's a three piece, but me, Ron, John and Cyrus, we're the ones responding in this. So we respond twice in this. So cool. it sounds, uh, it sounds tra uh, traditional ish. All right, here we go. sounded great rock and roll yeah 
Love that. I can't wait to have you guys perform at Music and Sky. That'll be really fun. We would love that. And uh, I think Ron John might be able to get Krishna Das. We'll uh, we'll see. see Yes, that's going (laughs) to that was something we were talking about pre-show that I brought up to uh, Matt and Owen a couple months ago. I want Krishna Das there and we'll do a big uh, that'll be epic. So, yeah. Um, it's so fun, cool. man, bringing the East and the West together like that. And it yeah. did have, it did have a bit of Alice in Chains vibe, I must say. <laughs> it's, uh, it's, it's, if Alice in Chains smoked weed and did her- instead of heroin, and if they tuned to 432. Well, if they drink their own urine. <laughs> and if they, yeah, yeah, that would be their, their drug choice. Yeah. God bless those guys. I love them. Yeah, I was a big, uh, big fan. Um, so the music side of things, um, that for you, um, you know, do you do that with the breath work too, in terms of um, playing your own music on top of when you're leading the holotropic or the rebirthing breathwork sessions, or have you started doing yeah, that at all? Some, sometimes I'll, I'll, I'll jam with the music that I'm playing um, through the speakers uh, to add a little something, something, but really I, I have to be um, really attentive um, mm-hmm. to, to my breathers and really give them like a lot, a lot of love. So I, I'll try to play music and I will, but if somebody goes through stuff, I'd like put, you know, put things down and go run over yeah. and, and pat on people and say, keep breathing. And that's really, that's really my biggest job in, in this, in this, uh, rebirthing breathwork, um, technique is I'm really just making people responsible for breathing. And, you know, I don't, I don't do energy work on people. I can, but I don't, like to do that because i want people to do their own energy work i, yeah. I want to empower people you know uh yeah so, it was great when uh sorry go ahead bear no you go ahead i just had a question you go first. no go go please well i was gonna maybe shift gears into throwing in cold therapy into the mix with the breathing now i believe there's mm. uh, and i know you're into that and, and we are as well but uh, i believe there's more of a more of a, an occulted significance to what it's really doing and not just raising immune factors and things, you know, like they test, which are all, you know, uh, I think uh, mirror side effects of, uh, you know, what's really going on deeper levels. So what, what's your comments about uh, breathing with cold therapy? So when I'm, when I'm in the ice, you know, 33 degrees, I'm not doing breath work. I'm breathing slow and deep because what do we normally do when we get in cold water? <laughs> so I do the opposite. Yeah. And I actually learned to relax my breath in the, uh, in the cold. Now, if you're now I've done rebirthing in like 50 degree water and that's a different ball game too. That's incredible. Um, and, and again, it's, it's like invigorating, but, but, you know, I, as I mentioned, you know, I had testicular cancer. So I've always been looking for ways to raise my testosterone without, you know, shooting up T levels and, you know, and, and what the ice did to my, remaining testicle it made it i like to say it made it super ball so i mean what <laughs> so what ice in general does to our not i mean what it does to our sexuality is incredible but not just that it 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 strengthens the nerves and calms the mind and when you do cold therapy every day you're just getting tons of dopamine and serotonin that are flooding your brain throughout the day when you do cold every day so I mean, and, I've just and noticed- I would say beyond that too, I feel like there's a there's the mental spiritual aspect of 
getting out of your comfort zone and challenging yourself when you're doing a cold shower every morning, when sometimes it's the last thing you want to do and you're getting this little micro instance of, 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 you know, challenging yourself against your comfort zones, which of course, that's why we incarnate into this Maya, this dense realm is to have that experience and the comforts of modernity have a lot in many ways taken us out of that and so to be able to have that little propulsion into the uncomfortableness to 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 seek that every morning for me when i was i did a whole practice for a year straight of doing it it's challenging man sometimes you just don't want to do it but yeah. then you just feel amazing after so there's something to that and that's you know i i know there's something to the idea of we're here to work. We're here to do the work and, and it's not all pleasant. And there's an importance right. of doing things that aren't pleasant. Like you were saying yeah. earlier that the, there are some pains that are good. Sometimes mm. that, that cold burns, man, and it hurts. And there's a reason for that. So uh, for me, a lot of the mental aspect of, of going through the challenge when you don't want to do it, it's like, God, I just want to have a nice, yeah. comfortable, warm, hot shower. Uh, or then of course going the ice bath, or I'm going to go jump in the river later today and it's cold now, bear. It got cold. So it's going to feel great. Yeah. We were just down there yesterday and it's, yeah, it's cold. Your, your comfort zone will kill you. Hey, so, uh, and and that's something we, uh, we do at the, at at music. Yeah, it will. Right. That's a great, like they say, like sitting's the worst thing you can do now. Yeah. Um, so you know, at Music and Sky, we did all that. You, you, for one, so those that don't know who, what Music and Sky is, it's an annual festival that we throw, Alphabetics involved, and our friends, and of course, my partners that do it are close friends with you as well. So we are fortunate to have you at both Music and Skies, and you led a holotropic breathwork at both times. And I was really fascinating to watch as we saw a lot of people having these transformational, almost very psychedelic experiences through it. And then, of course, you got to perform this year, and that was amazing seeing your band perform. Uh, and, but on top of doing that, we do do the ice baths every day. So it's a fully immersive experience. And so those that are wondering when we're talking about, when we say music and sky, go check it out. Musicandsky.com. Uh, we will be announcing next year's, I think we'll be doing Memorial day next year at a, at a secret location. We don't announce the location to almost like the week before. Um, but it is, uh, fantastic. So for those just wondering what we're talking about there, um, one thing though, at music and sky this year, that was a concurrent theme was Western mysticism, something that seemed to be coming up a lot. And maybe you could even tell the story that Brit and you, your partner and had, because you guys actually this year at music and sky did more than even your talk at your workshop is you guys had this amazing tea tent there, uh, behind the backs, kind of over by the, the main stage where you guys were doing workshops and late night kind of acoustic music and David Avocado Wolf was in there holding court for like three and a half hours one night, just going deep and all sorts of stuff. But one thing that we were talking about was it seemed like the Essenes and this Western mysticism um, was really prevalent on the land there. And maybe this is the final kind of stuff we could talk about. We're kind of running up on time here, but I know this has been something you've been kind of delving into along with your partner, Britt, and something very, I'm very passionate about of late. Also, Josh Dale Soul, who um, is a, a partner of mine with the Reunion Summit, who is there. Um, a lot of people, I mean, of course, David Avocado Wolf, he talks about Steiner, Rudolf Steiner, and how that relates to classical Western mysticism. What does that mean for you? And how did you get into the Essenes? Well, 
I'm also a recovering Catholic. <laughs> I, went to, uh, <laughs> I, uh, I went to a bunch of Catholic schools growing up. And, and uh, while I never, ever, and personally in my life, I never rejected God or, or Christ personally, but I, I always knew the church was BS, you know? And it seemed like people were either like, where I grew up, the people were either like all for the church or they were atheists. And I seemed to be like the only person sort of in the middle. I was like, well, just because the church is full of crap doesn't mean that God's fake, you guys, or, you know, so, um, so I'm getting into the breath work and get into the healing and the urine therapy and all this stuff. It's, it's like, I really found a lot of respect for, for India and Hinduism and what, and Tibet and what they have brought to the mainstream. And it seems like all the stuff surrounding Jesus is like a mystery, you know? So there's this other version of Jesus that I had came across that a buddy of mine said, Oh yeah, you don't know about the Essenes. Yeah. Jesus wasn't a scene. And the Essenes were these Jewish guys. And um, they were sort of like this enlightened group of, of Jewish dudes who uh, grew their food and lived in a community. It's like they were sovereign, but had community. So apparently Jesus is part of, there's an, I'm sorry, there's another version of Jesus where, he, he was instructed to teach these Essenes. And I think he actually might come from the Essene lineage as well. Very new to this. So basically what happened, um, I, I went to Essene.com. I started reading the Essene gospel a piece. And as I'm reading it, I'm thinking, oh my God, they're talking about five element breath work. I mean, it blew my mind that Jesus wrote a book about five element breath work. That's hard for even me to digest. <laughs> so, uh, I, so I went around telling people that I'm like, yeah, I think they're talking about five element breath work. Not, not hundred percent sure I was right or not. <laughs> you know, I get, when I learn about something new, I just want to tell everybody before I even <laughs> have studied it myself. So I'm reading this book, uh, last year. Um, it's called breaking the death habit by Leonard Orr. And I sold this at music and sky. So I highly recommend anybody in the breath work, get this Leonard Orr book. So I'm reading this book and Leonard Orr says, very casually in the book. And Jesus wrote a great book about spiritual cleansing in the Essene gospel of peace. It's all about breath work. So he confirmed it for me. So my teacher's teacher confirmed that the Essene gospel is in fact about breath work, fasting, eating raw food. It, it's all right there. It's, it's pretty easy to read. And so I, I, I bookmarked a page from it. If you guys, if we got time, if I can read a paragraph, is that all right? Yes, please do. Absolutely. Okay. So just really quick. Um, so as I, as I want to talk more about the five element breath work, but I know we have limited time. Um, so as, as, a, as we mentioned that you can breathe with each element. So we call it, you know, element of water, element of uh, earth. But in this book, they call it the angel of air, the angel of earth. And the context is very much about the element. So basically, they're just referring to the elements as angels. So here we go. So this is in the first, this is a few pages in uh, the first chapter, or I'm sorry, the uh, book one of the scene gospel of peace. So Jesus says, after the angel of air, seek the angel of water, put off your shoes and your clothing and suffer the angel of water to embrace all your body, cast yourself wholly into his enfolding arms. And as often as you move the air with your breath, move with your body, the water. Also, I tell you truly, the angel of water shall cast out of your body, all uncleanliness, which defiled it without and within and all unclean and evil smelling things shall flow out of you. Even as the uncleanliness of garments washed in the water flow away and are lost in the stream of the river. 
I tell you truly, holy is the angel of water who cleanses all that is unclean and makes all evil smelling things of sweet odor. No man may come before the face of God whom the angel of water lets not pass. In very truth, all must be born again of water and of truth for your body bathes in the river of life everlasting for you receive your blood from earthly mother and the truth from our heavenly father. Mm -hmm. And you know, the gospel of the Essenes is so practical. Jesus even described to his disciples how to construct out of a gourd and a vine, a, a mechanism to do enemas and internal bowel cleansing. You just read my mind. It totally says yeah. that in book one, they, they go into enemas. Yeah. Yes. It's stick the, uh, yeah, I, I, gotta reread your that. Yeah. <laughs> nice. I, I read that a long time ago. I have to get back into it. In fact, while we're talking, I just went on and, uh, and ordered it online there. And, you know, really? when we talk about angels in there, we forget the Vatican, uh, changed the word, uh, um, angles into angels. And what Jesus, wow. I believe, is talking about is the angles. You know, this gets into the, the original structure of the scriptures, the, the Bible. And we're talking about the signs of the zodiac, which are nothing more than the angulations that create the resonance that then affect us. And, um, you know, and then each of those angles is related to different cell salts and so forth. So the Bible in reality and included in the gospel of the scenes is about telling us how to rebuild the temple of Solomon. It's all about the temple, which is the human body. The Masons were about rebuilding the human body because they knew if the body had all of the elements that it needed, then it would be able to reconstruct itself in perfection. And then, of course, we would be able to perceive into those higher bandwidths, which would, you know, help us reach so-called enlightenment. So all of these things have been with us for the, for the, um, from the start, except our friends in the Vatican and myself being a recovering Catholic, you know, they, they pretty much occulted everything. So we wouldn't know just the simplicity of uh, yeah. what we're here to do in the first place and how easy it would be. Yeah, exactly. It is very simple. And that's, that's what's so mind blowing about. That's what makes me such a genius. I keep everything so simple and I'm just a regular guy. <laughs> so this, um, yeah, totally. And, and, uh, geez, I mean, like you said, they, they mention, um, they, they mention enemas, they mention doing breath work while fasting, which is very fascinating because I've done scientific research on holotropic breath work while fasting for five days. So I did, um, I did uh, a small retreat uh, a couple of years ago. I got five people. We did a juice fast and we did holotropic breath work every day with the elements. And we did thermography pictures before and after the retreat. And everyone had less inflammation. And I, need a, I haven't posted it yet on my website, but I will because this is fascinating work. And when I read in the scene gospel of peace that Jesus specifically says, fast, take off your clothes, go in the woods, start breathing deep. You know, I'm like, well, that's, that's what I like doing. I mean, this is the Jesus I want to hang out with. Uh, and, like, <laughs> and, and, and relating back to the elements, what we were talked about, I'm just remembering this, uh, how the current uh, going back to the Catholic church and the inversion by the, by the archons or whatever you want to call them, they have um, inverted what these elements should be doing for our food, yeah, for our health. Exactly. So the five elements, of course, now we, what we need, what they say in this is you'd have interaction with these every day, 
for health. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm, so, mm -hmm. so you should wake up and have the cold baptism of the, of the water. Uh, you should have the, the, at the first light you should have should be the, the, the fires, right. They would have the fire, um, of the element. And then of course the sun coming up, staring into the sun, there's your, your sun gazing. Um, and then of course the, um, in terms of even cooking, they don't, they talk about how this was really interesting to me. Cause I know a lot of raw diet, David Avocado Wolf fans will be like, ah, I told you so, where we have other people going, ah, oh, this is triggering me. But they talk about how you shouldn't you shouldn't use fire to um, burn uh, your food because that brings in the devil or something. Maybe you might want to read from that, but they I, actually I got I got the page right here. They, the, what's <laughs> trippy is they talk about how to properly you can actually bake your bread, leaven and bake that kind of bread, the flatbread with the sun. And so you should be using the sun as your means towards cooking your food and not torching it with fire, which has its, which is a, its own elemental, which should be used for certain things. So yeah. this is really interesting stuff. You're spot on. No, that's, I'm so glad you brought that up because that that's so important. Um, so, you know, this book isn't just about fasting and, 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 and breath work and, and, and bathing, but like you said, this is about raw food and the best way to keep the nutrients strong in your food. So, uh, so, uh, going on with what, what, what you're saying, um, th basically the, the disciples say, well, Jesus tells the disciples like, Hey, we don't need to, we don't need to cook our bread. And the disciples say, how should we cook our daily bread without fire master? Asked some with great astonishment. And this is what Jesus said. <laughs> he said, let the angels of God prepare your bread. Moisten your wheat that the angel of water may enter it. Then set it in the air that the angel of air also may embrace it and leave it from morning to evening beneath the sun that the angel of sunshine may descend upon it. And the blessings of these three angels will soon make the germ of life to sprout in your wheat. Then crush your grain and make thin wafers as did your forefather when they departed out of Egypt, the house of bondage. Put them back again beneath the sun from its appearing and when it has risen to its highest heavens, turn them over on the other side that they may that they be embraced there also by the angel of sunshine and leave them there until the sun be set. For the angel of water, of air, and of sunshine fed and ripened the wheat in the field, and they likewise must prepare also your bread. So my bad, and, uh, I meant unleavened bread. Oh. And... <laughs> and um, berries there he's talking about sprouting your your bread <laughs> yeah, we after the after the first reading of that like years ago we were making a seen bread all the time you know we still do we still sprout our grains and you know do the, cool. do the whole thing there so uh yeah, and that gave birth to a whole industry there you know a couple of companies that do the seen bread ah, but <laughs> um yeah this yeah this is uh an amazing discussion and um you know it all goes back to the fact that we have everything we need inside of ourselves, nothing really external necessary. And in fact, uh, you know, what you're talking about is uh, sometimes with fasting, our bodies are even more economical, more efficient in getting what they need if we don't have crude uh, food coming in all the time. And what we're really mm -hmm. talking about is different electronic levels. And just like in homeopathy, sometimes, um, you know, homeopathic remedy works good because it's just the 
energetic imprint and then bypasses the lower of our crude electronic levels and goes right to the heart of the matter. When we're fasting and uh, you know doing some of the things we're discussing, then it allows us to more efficiently extrapolate directly from the atmosphere with no middlemen that we call mm-hmm. food. And I'm not suggesting that you know I still like to eat food and everything, but I do notice that you know as time goes on, you just need less and less, and it's just as easy not yeah. to eat as it is to eat. So, totally. um, so uh, anyway, uh, yeah. any final thoughts you have as far as? Um, you know, well, all of this, I, mean, I could talk to you forever here. Let me yeah, say one thing yeah. about the five elements. So we mentioned air, water, earth, fire. What we didn't, did we get into the fifth element? No, no we, we didn't. The fifth no. element, it's starring uh, Bruce Willis. And uh, yeah. oh, oh, you mean the, okay. No, so the fifth what element. What a wacky movie that was too, by guy, by uh, what's his name? The guy who did the pr- professional. And uh, I actually really like that director. Um, I'm blanking. Yeah. I'm blanking on his name right now, but what a wacky uh, movie that one was. Yeah, totally. It's Brit's favorite movie. So it's a good one. Yeah. <laughs> so the fifth element in this uh, situation is uh, is a hammock, which is a really, or, or anywhere you can, any way you can suspend your body in air, but a hammock mm-hmm. is very efficient. So if you do your, you know, rebirthing breath work in a hammock after an hour and you're, you know, high on your breath and you're suspended in air, I mean, I mean, <laughs> just say you're flying is not really a big deal. Yes, it feels like you're flying, but my teacher Mahesh told me that, um, doing hammock breath work is an excellent way to overcome religious traumas actually, because it helps you go so etheric that you realize that whatever you've learned here on earth, as far as religion, if you learned it from a man, it's probably BS. So the hammock really puts you in touch with the ethers, you know, just to, mm-hmm. like, obviously. Right. And, and I do want to go, um, I know and we maybe, go and some- maybe even too, you could do that with a float tank. Yeah, well, then it would be like, it would be mixing, right? You'd be mixing the mm-hmm. water with, because there's so much salt that it feels like you're floating. So it would probably be like 2.5. And then you surround you know? yourselves with candles <laughs> for the flame. And and, um, and quartz and yaming Jew. Yeah. There, or, there you okay, go. The elements. <laughs> totally. Fill yourself with urine. Um, yeah. <laughs> wow. Well, there, oh, go ahead, Eric. Yeah, so Eric, you were about to say something there. I don't want to lose that. What was, you, you were about to bring something up. So, um, I know we got to go soon, but I, but uh, for everybody listening, I think it's so important that we just slightly go over something that is called EEP or emotional energetic pollution. So Great. we all give off EEP and uh, my teacher also calls it psychic dust. And I like to say, if you know, if you don't get sick from someone, like if you sit next to someone and they don't, they don't have a flu, you can, you literally can absorb their karma. It's actually, it's always your karma, right? It, you, you were responsible for your own karma, but you absorb someone else's energy that may make your karma heavier. Um, cause I don't ever want cause we're always responsible for our, our own. But, um, so when you're in a big crowd or you hang around a lot of people or after traveling, uh, you feel very dense. So my teacher believes that, um, and I actually, I'm starting to believe this too, that jet lag is a myth and you only feel that way cause you've been around a bunch of people. And, and that, that's an, it, I, it's an interesting perspective. I think there's obviously some truth to that, that if you're with a bunch of strangers, you're going to inhale all their, all their DNA, all their, their stuff, their energy. So low oxygen. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, yeah, you're sitting on a plane exactly with a bunch of people. So the ultimate way to cleanse our auric field, there's really 
two main ways. And that's taking a bath in salt water or sitting next to a fire. Now doing breath work, I feel like it doesn't really clear our auric field. It does a bit, but I really feel like we're doing more of the internal work. So that's why for me, uh, breathing next to a fireplace is so, it's life-changing. My, my teacher Mahesh told me when I left uh, Hare Khan Ashram two years ago, and he said, Eric, make sure that you spend every day in front of a fire for 30 days, see how you feel. I was like, all right, I'll do that. And oh my Lord, I, I, the, if you sit in front of a fire every day, you're always burning off the emotional energetic pollution that you pick up from people on the, on the daily. And then I deal with people better. I'm, I'm lighter. I'm, I don't get so caught up on things. I'm, I'm just easier to deal with when I'm sitting in front of a fire every single day. And for me, that's just been, I mean, I, uh, Leonard Orr said that he's, that he's healed his cancer by like going out into a, a, a house in the woods and uh, for a year and just being in front of a fire for a year and doing breath work for a year and eating light in front of a year. He claimed that helped cure his cancer. And I mean, I believe him, you know, Leonard Orr beat his cancer naturally many times because he learned breath work. He would go out and tour the world and teach breath work while absorbing everybody's energy. And then he would get sick and have to retreat for a little while. Now that's Leonard Orr's journey. Now on a, on a, on a parallel reality, <laughs> Baba G does the same thing. Baba G, the legend has it. Baba G would go, uh, he'd come out of the cave. He'd go into the villages. He would teach. And within 20 years, he'd look like an old man. And then he'd be like, sorry guys, I gotta mm. go because he knows better. He knows not to get cancer. You know, Leonard Orr is still, uh, you know, he was a human, <laughs> but, but uh, even though Baba G was a human, he was the incarnation of God and he understood everything. And I don't think he ever allowed himself to get to the place where he got cancer because he didn't even suffer. So, so this other guy, Hadikan Baba G claims he is Mavatar Baba G. Uh, Leonard Orr believes that fully. Some people don't. I understand how controversial that is. This is what I personally believe uh, just through my experience by going to Hadi Khan and, and talking to his devotees and then reading about uh, Mavatar Babaji. This is what I believe. I believe Mavatar Babaji and Hadi Khan Babaji shares consciousness. I think they're different bodies. They have the same memory apparently, because that's what that's Hadi Khan Babaji was blowing everybody's mind, reciting Sanskrit, doing these things. Is Hadi Khan Babaji, is he still around? So he, so he peered out of nowhere in 1970 when he was about 20. And then he passed at, uh, at about 32 in 1984, uh, a month after I was born. Hmm. And that was the last uh, physical sighting of, of Hadi Khan Babaji. And what's funny is he was in perfect health. He was a yogi teaching people breath work. And then he died at 32 from a, a heart failure. <laughs> it's, but he told everybody, he said, this is just a body don't even think anything of it, you know, kind of like Yogananda before Yogananda checked out. He was like, all right, guys, and I'm going to die. Love you. And click. Yeah, he, and, Yogananda went out young, too. In his 50s, I think. Oh, wow. Wow. So a lot of these guys, you know, they they're so tapped in the ethers that they can literally. Well, they see when death is coming, but I also believe that they do it consciously. They can actually turn off a nerve. They can turn off one of their noddies just because they're that awesome, you know. Mm -hmm. So, uh, yeah, surely. yeah. <laughs> It really has nothing to do with death. It's just how long we're supposed to be here. Did we fulfill our mission? And we're so totally. hung up on external things, doing things to us that it really is, is not what's going on in the first place. And then, you know, even concepts like cancer, you know, cancer, 
you know, in my experience is a cure. It becomes very yeah. problematic when we have a belief system about it. And when yeah. we are lacking the resources for that cure to go full circle and do what it's intended to do. And there's a reason why those things kind of don't come and go as readily as they used to. But, um, but either way, you know, there's, there's nothing but life. And of course, it's not about, you know, this death cult that we've been brought in. Uh, it's, it's really the old saying, we're more afraid to live than we are, you know, to yeah. die. Yeah. Totally. And, and to take it back to the elements, it's interesting, maybe an aspect of why we can't, why we're getting so hung up with this, uh, the cancers of today is that we're not releasing back into the elements like we used to with the fire in the air. Now I was telling, Eric and I were talking about this, the fire of now are LED lights. The air of mm. now is air conditioned internal environments. The mm. water of now is fluoridated and chlorinated. The earth now is us wearing shoes and not grounding onto it, right? Mm -hmm. So we've completely, and not all of our fault, obviously the, the controllers know what the hell they're doing. They've obfuscated and they've inverted and they've kept us away. So how I always like to end the show is why, like I say, take your feet, take your shoes off, get your feet in the dirt, go outside, go for a hike. You're in the elements. You're getting the natural air. You're getting the sun. You're go drink out of a stream. Uh, and, uh, that's how we re mother nature is here to give and give more and help us recharge and replenish and rejuvenate. So we're, well, the Eric, earth is so abundant. We're so abundant here, aren't we? Yeah. I mean, we truly are. It's all abundance. <laughs> hey man, this has been an amazing talk. I knew it would be, and I'd love to have you back to go deeper and, and stuff. We didn't, cause this, we didn't even get into dreaming. And oh. that, that is the whole thing that oh. you're working on right now. So you have a program yeah. you're working on about lucid dreaming and yeah. it's something we were going to get into today. So we'll have to have you back. Okay. Cause we're already right. over two hours yeah. so, and um, super important to get yeah. into. So yeah. yeah. Lucid so, dreaming is, is so fundamental. And uh, I can, I can give a couple tips. I can give a couple tips uh, uh, if, if we got for the we'll audience. Come back and we'll do a whole couple show tips. Keep we'll it, do a whole uh, show. Yeah, yeah, because we totally. I, we got to go. Okay, okay, please okay. end uh, with that. All right, all right. Uh, first of all, if you want a lucid dream, no cannabis. Uh, second, <laughs> uh, meditate in the morning. If you meditate for an hour or just sit still an hour before the sun rises, that's one good thing I learned about Bajan Yoga. It will you will you will tap right in the lucid dreaming. If you meditate every day before the sun rises, I guarantee. You will, you will, that's, it's a, a lucid dreaming is actually just a side effect or byproduct of doing deep internal work, which is, you know, working on concentration, cleansing the body yoga initially, um, uh, have a dream journal, life changing, make sure it's right by your, right by your bed, work, wake up, write it down. And the most, uh, and another last, last technique I'll give you guys uh, a reality check. So throughout the day, just say, am I dreaming? And then answer the question, am I dreaming? No. And if you're implanting that question into your subconscious, so eventually in your dream, you'll say, Hey, am I dreaming? Yes. And then you'll become lucid right there. And then yep. it's a Western technique, but you mix those uh, Western techniques with a little morning meditation and breath work. And, and you've got it. And I've just created my first breath work and lucid dreaming program at my website, aquarianalchemy.org. And this is I haven't seen anyone take breath work like Wim Hof style and mix it with lucid dreaming techniques. So I'm, mm. I think I'm the first person to do it. And, and the way I've created this course, it's a five week course. It's really, it's so brilliant because it's so simple and uh, we can talk more about it next time. I know we got to go. Yeah. Well, I want to uh, do, I want to do the course. 
Um, And I think part of lucid dreaming is getting super clean with your diet and your consciousness, no alcohol, no cannabis, uh, caffeine too can disrupt it. Um, And uh, essentially being, uh, I know people that have done more of a fruitarian diet seem to be able to go out of body and have lucid dreaming better. My kids are really into it. I work with them on it. I'm getting back to my dream journal. My kid was just telling me how, when he was looking at, we talked about looking at your hands in their dream. And if you can look at your hands, you can initiate that that knowledge that you're in a dream. And my, uh, my older son was telling me he saw his hands a couple of days ago in a dream and they were like static, like kind of a TV that's on a channel. That's just static. It was like black and white static of his hands. And then um, boom, he was like, he knew he was in a dream and then he was woke up and he was like coming to tell me. And then I wasn't there. And then he was still in a dream. He was like in a dream in a dream and he kept, yeah, wow. couldn't get out of the dream. So, uh, Carlos Castaneda stuff. Did he turn into a coyote as well? (laughs) I know, right? His spirit animal. Interesting that you just said coyote spirit animal. I just had a big experience with coyote spirit animal. So, uh, coincidence. (laughs) And we were just watching Golden Compass. Uh, we watched that uh bear uh last Friday night for movie night. So, we're getting into our demons and our who our spirit animal is. And by the way, I found out HBO had two seasons of because they never did the sequel to the Golden Compass movie because it was kind of a flop, I guess. There's a lot of drama in that. But I guess HBO has taken the whole book series and they're doing it as a whole uh mini series kind of thing. Oh, and they're great. Yeah. Are they on so. season three now? I don't know. So you've been watching it. I didn't even know oh, this. I've been it. so yeah. out of town. I love the books too. Yeah. So anyways, hey, Eric, any parting words for community? Aquariumalchemy.org is the website. We'll put it in the show notes below. Um, Any final, uh, any kind of notes or final parting words for our community here? Um, I should have the Lucid Dreaming Breathwork course finished uh, within a week or so. Uh, By the time this airs on Spotify, it might be done. But if you just go to aquarianalchemy.org, sign up for my newsletter, we'll let you know as soon as it's ready. Cool. And, uh, and, and we're mixing Wim Hof uh, method with uh, Bastrika, with conscious connected breathing, with focusing on uh, items and intentions. And uh, we're working, basically, we're just working on breath and our visualizations and how those two things combine. And uh, that's, that's part of the course. So sign up for the newsletter. Amazing. It's going to be fun. I just, uh, I just signed up for it and I can't wait for the uh, breath uh, work along with the dreaming to, uh, yeah, I'd love to see how you combine that. So, and and I play the music in, in, uh, I play the, I I also play the music and it's in uh, G sharp. So uh, G sharp is the the nose chakra is what I call it. Oh, Uh cool. (laughs) Um, Well, and maybe interesting because it is metal that has to do with upper respiratory. Oh yeah. Hey, Eric, I was going to say maybe two down the line when we have some more time, maybe next week, we could do a little 15 minute recording for our co-op. I'm trying to do that more. We have an amazing co-op. I didn't even plug any of our stuff really today. So if you're new to Alphabetic, check us out at alphabetic.com, A-L-F-A-V-E-D-I-C.com. We've got an amazing community on Telegram, t.me forward slash Alphabetic. And we're on Discord, alphabetic.com forward slash Discord. And finally, we have an online co-op, patreon.com forward slash alphavedic. I'm trying to put more stuff up there that's unique to that. Besides, like we do a lot of really cool like digital ebooks and and really fascinating uh, full spectrum information on there for our co-op members and our Patreons. But um, I do have a giveaway coming out from Leela. 
Um, I will have it run it for a couple of weeks just for our Patreons. Um, uh, uh, they've been nice enough to give us some cards, some frequency cards. So we're going to do a giveaway uh, for Leela just to our co-op members and Patreons. So please go join us there. It's going to be, uh, I'll be doing that for a couple of weeks. We'll figure out what that contest is going to look like. So I'll announce that again next week in the beginning of the show. But Eric, maybe we can have you come on and help us with a little lucid dreaming techniques and put that on for the co-op. Uh, when we have some time next week, if you're open to that. Um, Bloody brilliant. Awesome, brother. Well, hey, <laughs> awesome talk today, guys. Uh, really appreciate and love you and everybody out there for joining us today. Thank you so much. Great chat on uh, on all the platforms here. And uh, we are streaming to Odyssey now, guys. We only had a couple people on Odyssey today, but um, we are trying to go more decentralized. I know it's mostly on YouTube as far as the chat goes, but check us out on Odyssey. Uh, because we don't know how long we'll be on YouTube and Odyssey is really kind of the future until Cordal launches and then we'll have our own Cordal stream. So thanks everybody. We love you. Get outside, get your feet in the ground, go plant something, go for a hike. Mother nature truly is the best teacher uh, as well as your urine, which we found out today. Love you. See you next week. Thanks. Guys. Um, thanks. Thanks, Ciao. Mike. Thanks, Bear. Thanks, Eric. Bye. Thank you.